No, this isn't in the notes. Can I ask you a question? Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds like you're pretty excited about the new Zelda. Like you're enjoying it, enjoying playing it, and you're 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 liking it. Yep. Is that a huge relief? I mean, is there a part of you that's kind of was kind of like going, "Oh, please don't be weird." Like, in addition to the enjoyment of playing the game, it sounds like it's a big world with lots to do. Is it satisfying to know they did a good job with it? I wasn't really anxious about it because I don't think there's been a really bad stinker in the lot in the entire line of 3D Zelda's. Like they they take a long time to do them. They take their time. They always do a good job. Just a question of you know it, where it's going to fall within the pack. But I never I never had a fear that oh this this could be a disaster. Um, so my my expectations were basically met, despite the game being massively overhyped by everybody saying this is the greatest <laughs> game ever. Like I tried to tried to take all that with a grain of salt. Uh, but it's really good. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Although it's kind of annoying that my regular life continues. Like it, it seems like it should be some kind of <laughs> national holiday, or you could just say, right. "Well, you've got this game, so how about just you know take a month off and just play the game in a relaxing environment." Um, trying to fit it in, or just, it's fun on the weekends, but on the weekdays, or not being able to resist and just playing for an hour on a, on a weekday night is not really doing wonders for my schedule. It's probably not the best environment to do that, but I just, I just can't stay away. Yeah, that's that's really cool. What what do you think? You think about something like that? It's been around for th- almost thirty years, something like that. Yep. How do you? Is it is it an accident or is it what kind of what goes into making a franchise like that stay good for that long? It seems like it would be really easy to screw up at some point. Uh, I think for Zelda in particular, like not that it got lucky with the first game, but that it, you know they, they try a lot of things. Uh, you know, in the NES days, they tried a lot of different games, a lot of different franchises, and you know a few of them really hit right. And Zelda was one of them because it was a a different kind of game than you know a 2d side scrolling thing like it tried it, it 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 was ambitious it tried to give you like there's this big open world we won't tell you what to do and there are items in inventory and it was just not like it gave you a glimmer of what it could have been and what it was in the imagination of people but it was a very limited game but you could see the potential you could see this is the type of game we'd like to make and here's the best we can do within the limitations and i remember thinking it was amazing when i was younger and i mostly didn't pay attention to the zelda franchise in the 2d days because i didn't have a super nintendo my friends didn't have a super nintendo i didn't have anything i played uh, the original on the nes over friends house and then in the 3d era that was i think like the second the, the most important uh transition for the franchise like can you take this thing that was fun and popular in 2d that happened to be at the right place at the right time and you got lightning in a bottle with this one game on the nes and can you transition that game to 3d and for zelda they definitely could because it's great for the type of game that it is exploration mm-hmm. and you know uh having more tech for interesting enemies and combat and items and scenery and weather and day and nighttime and all that good stuff so it did make the transition to 3D. Um, and so I feel like the, the series of 2D games were just iterating on a formula and traveling along with the march of technology. And then the big leap to 3D, if they hadn't made that, the franchise wouldn't wouldn't be anything. Big leap to 3D uh, was an amazing game. Was the, the first 3D one is the one a lot of people think is the best Zelda game and the best game of all time and so on and so forth. Um, and then I think the final thing that was important for this franchise, besides being good in the beginning and making the leap to 3D, was the, the handoff. The handoff of the... To, of the job of making these games from 
uh, Shigeru Miyamoto, who invented uh, the franchise and so many other things having to do with Nintendo, essentially slowly transitioning the game to another team of people and another director over the course of many, many 3D games to the point now where I feel like this game, uh, Breath of the Wild, is entirely in, what's his name? Ayunoma or something like that, um, entirely in the hands of the new director. And you like it's like a, a decade-long transition. I don't know, a long transition of, of game after game where Miyamoto was less and less involved and the new guy and the new team were more and more involved. And that sort of peaceful, gentle transition... Mm-hmm. while allowing the freedom to try new and different things like this is the culmination of that and that's what i think uh has ensured the the success of the franchise over all these years making the leap 3d and a, and a peaceful transition with freedom to a new person because if miyamoto was still making them i'm not sure that they would still be as good as they are you know what i mean mm-hmm. and i can't think of a, an analogy like because for example it's exactly what george lucas didn't do well, that's, that's exactly <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I wasn't even going to begin to make that comparison because it seems silly, but you just think about all the stuff that, and like, it just feels like in retrospect over the last however many, I'll say in the last 30, 40, 40 years, there's been all this stuff that you came out, came out of the box with something really fresh and different and unusual. I'm speaking very generally about all kinds of media here, but there's all kinds of media in the last 40 years that come out of the box doing something really spectacular. Um, and different and new and fresh and, you know, genre reinventing or genre inventing stuff. And you get the breakaway hit. You sometimes get a follow-up. Occasionally you get a, well, a little further back, you get a Godfather too. You get something that's arguably better than the first against all odds. It just feels like, this is such a generic statement, but it feels like we've grown to be so ready for disappointment because as things change, in the case that you say here, going from 2D to 3D or what have you, or all these different ways that media evolve, it really feels like somebody loses the story at some point about, about what the appeal of the thing is. I'm looking at you, George Lucas. You know what I mean? There's, it seems like it, it, there's so much incentive. You got to hit dates. I mean, you look at something like the Beatles. At one point, we're putting out like four albums a year. You have to hype up production on this thing, cash in while you can. Not, not to just be cynical, but it's a business. You've got to scale up fast. You know, you got to have, you know, Miss Pac-Man has to come to, you know, get Miss Pac-Man 2 and whatever, Pac-Man Jr. And it, like all this stuff has to happen in rapid succession. And I heard a quote, it was, it, was, it was Peter Buck that quoted it. I don't know who originally said it, but Peter Buck quoted somebody as saying, you have your entire life to write your first album and six months to write the second. It just, uh, I don't know, I don't have a specific thought here, but I just, I guess I just feel like it's really encouraging when somebody's able to keep up to keep following whatever their muse was that made this into a great thing, to have the implementation stay in place and yet to still be able to grow and evolve. It feels really, and you know, I don't hold it against anybody. Everybody's ha- everybody's, you know, got their things that didn't go as well. And sometimes they bounce back. Not every Martin Scorsese movie is, you know, casino or, you know, Goodfellas. I don't know. I just think it's really encouraging when you find some kind of a franchise where they manage to not screw it up. From a distance, this is what it looks like to me. Cause again, I just read, trade press about the video game industry and i really have no idea how it is and also my my view of uh japanese culture is obviously entirely colored by the the weird funnel through which i see all of this stuff but my impression is that the success of this franchise and nintendo in general relies in large part on two things one success early success uh sustained success you know like basically that they that they make money that they're not on the verge of bankruptcy and scrambling 
you know, like they've had their ups and downs, but in general, there was some early big success and they've been wise with their money and their investments and not overextended and not made huge acquisitions and they can weather the bad times and they've always had other, you know, other good times to give them more money. So that gives you uh, one part of this. And the other part is feels like the company understands what it has, like that it values its intellectual property and talent and gives the people involved the time and space to to both do a really good job and try interesting new things hmm. and even if they don't work out like it's like a nurturing environment right because mm-hmm. if you look at the, if the the whole line of zelda games especially in the 3d era you've got this whole gentle transition with miyamoto stepping away and bringing in new talent and trying to you know sort of train up the new talent and, and set them on their own path all the while everybody is given the chance to try including miyamoto himself to try new things to fail never punished for that like never you know, i mean i'm sure there's some associated amount of like that's not a good thing for you know it, we, everyone would prefer if this game was better or did better but to see the same teams plugging away at these franchises to try interesting new ideas it just seems like from from a distance that it is a very it's the type of environment that you rarely have for creative people even something like pixar i feel like pixar has more pressure about like you got to make a hit and it's a hit driven type <laughs> totally. business whereas nintendo feels like these people, these same people who've been there working my whole life have been given so many chances to do great things and have done great things and have tried new things and have grown. Like It seems like the perfect balance of honoring the franchise and making games that you know that the fans will like while also innovating and trying new things. And, and even if you end up down a blind alley and have a bunch of bad ideas at various points, to just refine and learn from them. The same, the same group of people. Now, the only other thing I would say about this, my impression, is that as you get lower in the org chart in Nintendo and other video game companies, it inevitably gets to the point where you are probably working people too hard at the lower levels, and there is there is very little room at the top for these super important, you know, dilettante creative types or whatever. But if that's, you know, like, you can't have everyone be a boss. And I think it helps that there is a small number of people promoting their vision for what this thing should be like in in the same way that i guess you know that albums are like imagine if albums were made by you know groups of 400 people all of whom had equal input like you get crap right there always has to be Mm -hmm. a small number of people who are dictating uh how this stuff goes and the more the more uh, you know cooks you get in the kitchen the more opportunity there is for a disaster yeah, I mean the cliche is about that. You look at something like a like a Hollywood movie, especially where there's maybe some kind of problems with the production. You that seems to lead to maybe lead to or be caused by problems with the script. You bring in script doctors, and you get to where you watch some movies, and you really feel like this section was written by somebody else, and this section was written by. Yeah, it's. Yeah, I want to think about this because this would be a good draft for us. We should do a, we should do an incomparable draft. It'd be interesting to think about other things that have been like that. It's easy enough to take shots at the things that you know weren't always perfect all along, but I guess I'm interested in thinking about companies, groups, or any kind of collective that do what you're describing, which is like we we want to grow, we want to be pushing, we want to be capitalizing on the success we've had, you know, sharpening the saw with what we're trying to learn. And, you know, trying new things. Can you think of any others off the top of your head that you think have done a good job with that? It's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of an out-of-nowhere question, but... The Marvel Cinematic Universe is kind of like what Nintendo has done, but 
they are too far in the direction of not trying new things. Like they are, you know, it's a spectrum, right? But they are, they are trying new things. You get, you get an Ant-Man every once in a while. You get a Deadpool. Sometimes they hit, sometimes they don't. Even things like Thor are a little bit different in flavor than the other ones, but there is a definite sameness and safeness and more of a sort of, because it's a larger thing and more people are involved, more of a sort of machine churning out this stuff. Whereas the Zelda franchise has seemed more like, imagine if, uh, if a new Marvel Cinematic Universe movie came out once every four to seven years. And each one was mm-hmm. different in some very interesting way than the previous one. And some of them are duds and some of them are good. I, you can't really compare because the timescales are all different and the size of the company is different. But I do believe that Marvel has is giving people a little bit more freedom than you might imagine they would to make different movies. Guardian, again, Guardians of the Galaxy is different than the, the Captain America is different than the Avengers. Like... There is a sameness, and it is more, it's more samey than the Zelda franchise, but it seems like, for the most part, someone who's steering that ship must, must, like, they respect the material. They respect mm-hmm. the material, they respect the properties they have, and they try to give people room to do something interesting. And, and the main complaint I've heard about the Marvel Cinematic Universe is that for the directors is that, like, the directors aren't given enough room to express themselves because they must comply with, like, the Marvel Cinematic Universe rule book in terms of even if just simple stuff like color, color grading, like, in that, uh, youtube video saying how all those movies look the same Mm -hmm. um so i I feel like they're not they're not in the same league as nintendo with its franchises but i feel like they're trying to do the same thing and and arguably star wars too we only have two data points on that right but the new the new regime for star wars uh that they they did episode seven and that was like the you know the the must win (laughs) you got to do a good (laughs) job on that one and then for rogue one immediately the next movie it's different it's different than episode seven is different than all previous star wars movies um, and again, with the possibility that they may be heavy-handed with the, uh, with trying to keep it uh, samey and in line. But um, for uh, well, I'm th- all these things, I'm thinking of our franchises because Zelda is a franchise. I'm thinking franchises, intellectual property, and companies that respect the intellectual property and give the creative people freedom to innovate and time and space to make sure that everything they make is at least pretty darn good. And sometimes they're great, and sometimes they're less good. But none of them are, you know. Nothing is rushed out to market to make a buck because they respect the material too much. You think Studio Ghibli qualifies? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, that's a little bit different because it's uh, all they, different, like, different directors or producers. It's not that many different. You know, it, it's it's Miyazaki and uh, Takahata or whatever the other guy is. Like, it's not, there, and there's some variation here and there, but that's more like the singular version of a single. It's more like Scorsese's stuff. Like, because I know it's not all Miyazaki, but it's a lot of Miyazaki, and his hand is right. a lot, of, and and he that's a small company that does give that one person time and space to do these great things and they wouldn't put out a sneaker and that's true but it's not quite the same thing as a franchise i think it's harder with the franchise with the franchise like oh we got mickey mouse oh god it's, can you imagine the the pressure i mean i it's funny i talked to with uh, dan about this today as we record this it is march 14th i was talking to dan about how you know i really i really liked logan a lot and as i was reflecting on it i was thinking about how and this is not i don't mean this as a as a huge slag but you know there are some MCU movies that I both liked in the theater and I think about a lot. Guardians of the Galaxy would definitely be one. Really, pretty much all of the Captain America movies. Civil War, less so. But I mean, I'm a pretty big, you might know I'm a pretty big X-Men fan. But like, I forget about Apocalypse. I forget about, I forget like what happened in which movie. I forget who the big bad was in some of those movies. And I mean, Ant-Man was a fun diversion. Deadpool was a Warner movie. It's like, you know, it's, I, I think the pressure is on with them to, I mean, you look at that production schedule of what they've got to do and it kind of feels like they are taking fewer risks 
it sounds like they practically killed poor Joss Whedon with the the Avengers stuff. You know, it sounds like a. It's, uh, I, I mostly I am acquainted with people who do Marvel comics, and it's not a secret that there that that is a difficult group to work for. Very difficult. I, I'm sure, obviously the movies are different, but I just can't imagine the pressure of coming in and having these billions of dollars in IP and this like fairly rigid path where all these things have to fit together. You would have to be a real craftsperson to be able to do that and have anything like what James Gunn was able to pull off. I mean, it's almost unimaginable to me. Well, and Logan is a great example. I'd forgotten about that. I just saw that as well. That is perhaps the most different. It's not Marvel Cinematic Universe, obviously, but it's the most different uh, superhero movie in a long time. A rated R movie, very different in in tone and everything about it. Um, And even for that one, I don't know what the deal, like, what is it, Fox owns uh, X-Men? Yeah, it's Fox, Um, yeah. Um, that even that apparently they had to do a bunch of finagling with uh, Hugh Jackman's salary to even get that made. That he like basically he was willing to take less money to get more points on the back end. Otherwise, the no movie kidding. Have... So the the budget was a little more modest for that. Uh, only because they didn't the studio didn't wasn't didn't want to take the risk that an R rated superhero movie wouldn't do well. And everyone involved said, we want to make this happen. And the studio's like, it's not happening. And and so part of the deal to make it happen, what I had heard, was that they shifted some money around to make it so that we don't have to pay you so much up front because the movie bombs because no one wants to see an R-rated superhero movie. We're not out too much cash. And in exchange, you get you know points in the back end. And I, I don't know, or more points or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. know how the movie did. Uh, but It's done very well. I mean, it, I'm reading right here. This is not box office mojo. This is Wikipedia. But $97 million, not a giant budget for a superhero movie. Against the earnings box office so far of four hundred and thirty-seven million, but yeah, it's a header. I mean, to to, to and I got to tell you, buddy, I think they they earned every inch of that R rating. My God, <laughs> but <laughs> really, really glad I didn't take my daughter. Yeah. But um, but yeah, trying something more ambitious. But Deadpool just as much. I mean, didn't what's his head? Uh, not Ryan Gosling, the other one. Didn't Ryan Reynolds? I mean, he was instrumental in that thing getting mm-hmm. made, including putting up some of the money, right? Yeah, and and that I mean that just goes to show that the the movie studio system is more more rigid and less forgiving than an environment like uh, like even Pixar, but certainly than Nintendo. Um, the, the main reason I thought of the Marvel Cinematic Universe is I feel like none of the Marvel movies that I've seen have been super duper awful. Like they're all there's a baseline right. level of they quality <laughs> and and care that is I all floor. maybe. <laughs> I, maybe I haven't seen like it was the was the speaking of Ryan Reynolds was the was the uh, Green Lantern the terrible Green Lantern that everyone hates was that before like what when does the Marvel Cinematic Universe kick off Yeah yeah I think so I think it was before that um, it was a pretty good long while ago I mean of the maybe ones, the, maybe the Ed Norton Hulk wasn't that great well, either Well there's but, some but it, there's some that tanked well, I I like the Ed Norton Hulk it was the Ang Lee one that people mostly bag on I, I give see I give the Ang Lee one points for trying something new and different didn't work but right <laughs> no, right it's, right it's different Yeah I'm trying to think if there's been any real I mean if, if there's anything that's uh well this is not the topic for the, for tonight but um you know it's I, I've made my peace with the Avengers style movie in a way that maybe somebody like our friend Andy Anako is not. I now understand that in the same way that Star Wars is doing their TikTok, you know, for, for annual movies, I think you have to look at an Avengers movie at this point as an event movie that, I mean, if, if you're not there for an, a, a, an overpacked, overstuffed, overcasted, you know, uh, Marvel explosive movie, then it's, it's, you're not going to have time to get really deep, you know, as deep into Scarlet Witch as you might like, 
You know what I mean? It's, that's, that's the kind of movie that that is. But yeah, I'm trying to think if there's been any real stinkers. Whereas like with the DC movies, I just can't, I mean, I, 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 we went to see the general Zod one. We went to see that one as a family. And like, we were just like, okay, this is way too loud and awful. Walked out of that one. Um, and I try, I've sort of, you've heard me say this. I've tried to watch the Superman, Batman one. Oh, good. I mean, and I swear every time I, every, no matter how long I watched that movie, every time I looked at the scrubber, there were still two hours left in the movie. And I was like, this is so bleak. And so track, it never ends. It never goes. It just changes programs. (laughs) But you know, I mean, there have been some stupid ones like the, but this is not Marvel. This is uh, Warner, but the, um, the Wolverine origins one. Oh yeah. No, those those are bad, but those aren't, those are not in Marvel Cinematic Universe. Like I think what sets the Marvel movies apart is like, Maybe it's part of the sameness, but like in all of the Marvel movies, for all the things you just said about them having packed with people, whatever, like the casting is good. And even though they're overstuffed, I feel like there's a minimum quality level to the writing where there's there's some economy of attempting to give people lines that, that even though they only have five lines in the whole movie, those five lines form a tiny mini arc. Like there is a baseline level of quality, especially to the, the, the tentpole Marvel movies these days that. It may not be great, but they're they're going to put the care in to like it's going to look good, it's going to sound good, it's going to have charismatic actors who fit the roles, who you who play characters that you come to relate to and like if they're a good guy, right? Uh, and even though they only have three lines in this movie, the lines are going to be interesting and witty and like enough to say somebody somebody put an effort in the same way that pixar like there's no wasted space and everything on the screen is like someone put tons of uh effort into marvel's not that high level but i feel safe going into a marvel movie to know that it's not going to be something like a dc movie where dc movie may look very interesting and have have some interesting ideas but like this the story will be pointless and the script will be terrible and i won't like any of the characters and the casting will be questionable and it's like there's too much that doesn't work and in a zelda game i know baseline it's going to be good to look at solid coherent uh well structured not have a lot of weird glitchy bugs or terrible things uh we'll have some interesting new ideas and we'll bring back the things that i enjoyed from the franchise and that's there's there's some feeling of safety in that and the only question is is this going to be one of the ones that's just so so or is this going to be one of those transcendent ones that really pushes everything forward and it's different in video games because there i feel like much more room to there's much more of a range of of things that you can do a movie at this point is still just a bunch of pictures up on a screen with sound and games can be so much more than that because there is a the world within the game yes it's pictures and sound on a screen but what type of game is it is it an open world game is it, what what kind of game systems are in it is uh you know how is inventory handled how is health handled how is combat handled how is travel is there a theme to this game uh, a gameplay mechanic uh how are you know motion controls and multiple screens integrate like there's there's so much you can do with games it gives you plenty of rope to hang yourself if you screw up but zelda has always found a way to advance in increments and try lots of different things and this is one of those games where it all comes together and the experiments of the past three or four games plus the the franchise staples come together in a form that really works out the only weak point for this game is probably the hardware because nintendo continues to make underpowered hardware because they hate me (laughs) yeah just so you know um zelda is not the kid zelda's the princess the kid come on but he's a kid, right? He's a man. Now, what about Princess Peach? Is she the one in the other tower? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Mm. So many princesses you don't even know about in Nintendo franchises. They've really expanded. The, it's like the Disney princess lineup. Stack three mattresses high. Mm-hmm. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Flow. You can learn more about Flow right now by visiting getflow.com slash diffs. Flow is simple project management for teams everywhere. It helps you run your company, your team, your projects, run them all your way. It gives you a single space to stay on top of everything that's happening at work. So if you're having trouble managing a busy team, you find yourself battling a flood of emails and notifications, or maybe you're just struggling to keep up with who's working on what, well, Flow is right for you. Teams choose Flow when email, sticky notes, or basic to-do apps just aren't enough. But complex project management, that kind of might be a little bit of overkill. Flow was designed for users, not just managers, by a world-class team who work with companies like Slack, Apple, TED, and Tumblr. With beautiful apps for the web, desktop, iOS, and Android, your team will be up and running with Flow in minutes with no training required. And Flow lets you run things your way, makes it easy to plan ahead, track projects from start to finish, and organize tasks as lists, cards, calendar, however you want to do it. And at a glance, you get clear visibility into who's working on what and how projects are going. I am a retired project manager, and I can tell you this is not a simple problem. You need an app like Flow in your life. And unlike other apps that overload you with notifications, so many notifications every time you log in, Flow helps you to get caught up by only showing you what you need to see now. Flow is made by a team who are based all over the world and is designed for teams of all shapes and sizes. Whatever your team is, Flow gives them a space to collaborate and focus on the work that's important to them. And if your team uses Slack, Flow's integration lets you run your projects and create tasks right from there, too. So please go and visit getflow.com slash diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. Start your free trial today. And because you're a listener of Reconcilable Differences, you're going to save 20% on a monthly plan or 30% on an annual subscription at checkout. All you got to do is go to getflow.com slash diffs. Thank you so much to Flow for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Wow, we got we got a lot of uh, we got a lot of material here. I think you should run this one. You take this anywhere you want to go. We got we got a lot of now. See, this is under follow up. We should probably cover the arrival thing. Yeah, I think we're going to skip over your laptop for time reasons because yeah, we got a lot to get. We done. got a lot to cover. Yeah, we'll just. It, Suffice it to say that you already bought a laptop and I was flabbergasted that you had done so, but we'll talk about it in a future show. <laughs> Boy, what is it Roger Stone said? It's time for Podesta's time in the barrel. I really felt like I got my day in the barrel on Slack. Woo! <laughs> You're just like, you got up suddenly and your credit card fell out of your pocket and hit a key on the computer? Is that how it's that was, It's complicated. Works? It's complicated. All right, we're not talking about this. We'll save it. Another yeah. show. So we'll stay in the notes. It's, it's turned out to be, turns out, it's turned out to be a very interesting experiment that I would like to talk about. The short, the short version of this is that I, I, I decided to do this, to have this home thing. And you, you talking me out of the, the big one made me think, hmm, why don't I try using a computer the way I'm pretty sure Apple wants me to use a computer today. So that's what I've been trying to do. And it has been a very interesting, occasionally frustrating, but illuminating experiment that we should save for another episode. I'll put it in uh, topics. 
All right. You pick. This is going to be a contentious one. So we're each going to spend some time in the barrel, I think. <laughs> yeah, so Arrival Angst. This is interesting. So we talked about Arrival uh, last show in the spoiler slot, and we talked all, about all sorts of spoilers. And I, I, you know, I had already done uh, The Incomparable about Arrival, so uh, I didn't expect anything out of it. And for the most part, you know, uh, listeners to the show, their, their tweets uh, at us about Arrival were the, kind of the same type of things we got after The Incomparable episode, them offering their opinions and theories on on the movie right yeah um but within the incomparable slack was it the incomparable slack channel? oh yeah or the, oh the yeah there was with, it was within the, the either the incomparable or the relay slack channel. well there were, there were people who had not seen the movie i guess who no who heard, no well no i know in the at least in the case of steven for sure there were people who went out and said oh this sounds really interesting i want to hear the rest of this i'll go watch the movie oh they went and watched the movie all right anyway, oh yeah steven yeah. and i have been talking about it buddy <laughs> all right anyway so within one of these two slack channels that we're in People, some of the people who were even on the Incomparable Arrival episode got all hot and bothered about all this Arrival <laughs> discussion. Jason Snow. <laughs> again, yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't, well, anyway, so they were, ever, people were talking about it again, and there seemed to be a lot of angst, mostly surrounding my opinions of the movie that a lot of people disagreed with, but whatever, like, that it came up as a topic of discussion again, which is nice that they listened to the show, and it's nice that some people went out and watched the movie because of it. And I think this is, kind of interesting in that this is not a microcosm of the larger reaction because the larger reaction was pretty benign but mm-hmm. there was a lot of angst about arrival in slack um well some of that i think i mean you know part of it is that people just get real emotional in the slacks that we're on and it can be part of the fun of that slack and then glenn comes in and posts a raccoon and, and david makes a pun and the music goes around but the uh but honestly i think one reason i i, I don't want to overcushion this blow because you should take the blow however you want but i, I think part of it is that this movie uh, in different ways for different people was very moving and, and meaningful. And you come out of that movie with, uh, I don't know, how do you put it? Because on the one hand, like I, I came out of that with very strong emotions about how the movie was made, right? But then I also, the, the more I thought about it, and I went back and I've watched it since then, each time like I have, I have really, really complex, and I don't mean that in the problematic way, but I have complex feelings about this movie, like the bittersweetness of, of life, uh, is really, I think, well expressed in that movie, and that's reflected in people's feelings about our takes on it. Where you know, regardless, everybody's got their own feeling about you know what happened in this, and it's just that with yours, which you hold strongly, that is, I think, at odds with what a lot of people thought was the point of the movie. Whereas you said, you know, it's kind of critical. We're not, not going to spoil it by talking about that. You can go back and listen to the last episode if you wanted to be in the arrival episode. You should have called during the pets episode. But that's I, I, just to cushion a little bit. I think that's where it comes from. Is people just generally had strong opinions. Yeah. So I, I think that we may we may have some arrival tail end stuff at the tail end of this show's spoiler slot. So just we FYI, might have two slots be, for spoilers. There's, there's going to be a spoiler slot for the OA, and at the very tail end of that, there might be a very short amount of spoilers for the arrival because I want to talk about a few things in specifics. But in generality, it's hard to say. Very hard to say. In generalities, the reason I'm surprised is I feel like this is not a situation where. Uh, there's a movie that's beloved by other people that I don't like. Because I like this movie. I recommend this movie. I say this is a good movie repeatedly during both both The Incomparable and this show. Like, there was no ambiguity. I wasn't like, well, I don't know. I don't like this movie. I was like, this is a good movie and you should see it. I don't know how many times I have to say that, right? So it's yeah. not as if I'm taking a dump on a movie that they liked, right? It's just a different of opinion about uh, two factors in it, uh, which I can't get into detail. But one of them is I feel like 
uh, the movie working as designed, and that there is a thing in the movie, and you can have one opinion about it or the other, but neither one of them contradicts the movie. Like, the movie is not broken because of this. Because, like, for example, the movie, the example I was thinking of is that, what was that, Susan Sarandon, Sean Penn, uh, Death Penalty movie? Oh, yeah, Dead Man Walking. Is that what it was? Yeah, mm-hmm. right. So that movie, it's a little bit of a, a you know polemic or, or morality tale like it's pretty clear that the people who made this movie are against the death penalty like that's that's what that's my impression from watching uh, dead man walking right but the movie to its credit presents all sides of the you know it doesn't it doesn't it's not so completely one-sided that it's comical it's trying to say like this is a complicated issue here is a fictional situation i don't remember if it was based on true story whatever about a person and, and a crime and the death penalty and how this all plays out um and you could come out of that movie feeling uh, like w- go in with one opinion about the death penalty and come out with that opinion moved in one direction or the other. And I think the movie is working as a sign no matter which direction it moves your opinion. Because if you go in super duper pro death penalty, you come out less pro death penalty or you come out, you go in super duper against it and you're swayed a little bit more towards it. Like mm-hmm. that, I feel like is it's not a it's not a complaint about the movie. You can't say, oh, this movie like if, if I was to go into that movie and say I used to be super against the death penalty and then i watched dead men walking and now i'm kind of for it like i wouldn't say if someone really loved that movie and thought it was a great expression of how they feel about the death penalty i don't think that negates anything about the movie like i think that's 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 exactly how art's supposed to work right so that's there's one aspect of arrival that is like that and we'll talk about that later and then there's another aspect where i have complaints about the mechanics and that is entirely a personal thing because like in any type of movie like the greatest example is uh, anytime a computer nerd sees a movie involving computers depending on how heavily the movie hinges on some computer related stuff some computer nerd could be like it took me out of the movie like your suspension of disbelief is messed up yeah. right yeah. and yeah. that is that's a personal thing because like if you're you know whatever if the movie is about car racing you're watching days of thunder and you know nothing about car racing none of the car racing crap bothers you and you just get able to enjoy the movie for what it is which it wasn't a great movie anyway but anyway um but if you are actually a race car driver it may be very difficult for you to to enjoy or like say the natural which i really enjoy but i've never been a professional baseball player if i was a professional baseball player and i watched the natural maybe some aspect of it would have taken me out of the movie so i feel like it's a personal experiential thing that it's a possibility in every movie that your suspension of disbelief can be messed up by something that happens in the movie and that is still also i would say not entirely a slam on the movie because every movie is like that for somebody and not everybody is like me and again i'm totally recommending this movie and i'm saying i would have enjoyed it more if they had done something different you know with with the story there and that it's really important to me and i'm explaining why i have a problem with it but i feel it definitely feel like it shouldn't make anybody else feel different about the movie because if that didn't bother them it didn't bother them permit me to speak in code for just a minute i think there are there are two you're talking about two things that that you said about the movie arrival one of them involved uh what I refer to as some hand wavium, but, but one of what one of the aspects was that there was a very important plot point about the instantiating factor and like the reason for the movie that wasn't covered or was covered in a weird way. I don't think that's what people are talking about. I think there was the second thing where you had a pretty strong feeling about what you thought of this character. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's the one that's the, that's yeah. the Dead Man Walking one, right? Okay. And I, I feel like that is not a failure of the movie, because that's exactly what the movie is supposed to do, is make you think, and people will come away with different opinions of it. And so that is not a slam on the movie of me having this opinion about a character in the movie, you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's yeah, and so uh, I'm not I'm not saying that anyone else has to agree with what I think about it, but what I'm saying is that it doesn't, that particular thing does not detract from the quality of the movie. 
I feel like, right? Whereas the the other thing, the suspension of disbelief thing, from my opinion, does attract from my opinion to the movie, and it, the movie would have been stronger with a slightly <laughs> different choice there, especially since it's not so pivotal. Since it's it's kind of MacGuffin-y, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Like you just yeah, need yeah. this to ha- you just need this to happen for the rest of the movie. It's not the point of the movie. Um, so that would be like, for example, what would make me take stars off the movies when rating it in Letterboxd or whatever? Uh, the 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 plot <laughs> thing is going to make me pull stars off. From, these are my ratings again. These are not like yeah. you know. These are just my personal ranks. The plot thing is going to make me pull stars off. Uh, the ending thing will not make me pull stars off. If anything, it may, may it make me add stars because I feel like it made me it made me think and uh, you know consider. Well, I, I've enjoyed the conversation about this um, unusually, um, not because people tended to well, not side. That's too strong a word, but they they you know what it doesn't matter. Here's what's interesting though. I think it's interesting when there's a movie out there that that gets a lot of attention and. For, for many kinds of movies, if it's a movie that's considered very good, most people agree on why it's good. If it's a movie that's pretty bad, lots of people think it's bad, people tend to agree on why they think it's bad. I do think it's very interesting when there's a movie when people disagree slightly on why it's good or disagree on why it's bad. Those are some of the most interesting conversations. That's not precisely what happened here, but like the fact that you could, you know, there doesn't seem to be that much dispute that this was a well-executed movie, especially after I saw it a second time, personally. But... Um, but I, I do think that has a lot to do with it, is that it is one of those, you know, there's those certain kinds of things like, well, like I, I, I almost wanted to say, like, this did at times remind me of, is it Terrence Malick, I want to say, that yeah. it had that kind of, that that sort of, like, ruminative, ruminative, like, this is a big movie about life feeling to it. And, you know, if that's not the kind of movie that one likes, then you're not going to like this movie, probably. I love that kind of movie. Like that wasn't my problem with this at all. I love no, that I, kind of, I, 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 love, I love Terrence Malick movies. That just the actual real thing, and this was not as challenging as that. Well, and we'll get to that also in our other smaller spot when we talk about another thing because I I, mm-hmm. I thought about that a lot with the work of uh, Britt Marling. That's been on my mind a lot too. Is like, you know, yeah, we'll get to that in the smaller spot. But all I, right. I don't so think it's, I don't think it's that angsty. It's not like it's not like there was a blanket party on. Well, John. whatever. Like it's, like you said, it's just like. Um, but but <laughs> during that conversation. By the way, I will point out that none of these conversations were addressed towards me. It was all complaining about me to each other, which is fine. Oh, here we go. Okay. We're moving on to the next one. <laughs> yes. Now we're moving on to the next one, right? So this, You quoted me. This is a quote from you in Slack. Uh, it, it, we can skip over this if you want, because again, no, this, no, is no, not, no. this is not something you put out for public consumption, but I pulled it out of the sla- the private Slack channel and put it here. If you would like to read this, if you would like to give a dramatic Oh, no, reading, I, would prefer, I would much prefer that you read it. <laughs> you can't see that's the thing this is a good test by the way for people if you're thinking of of tweeting something mean at somebody if you can't read it out loud or if you oh, have I'm the happy person to read, read it out loud it i just out, think oh, it's then funnier you, if then you i read feel it. like you should because i would love to hear how you would read this okay well i i don't remember exactly what the context was but it was mainly it was it was a it was a jousting jabbing fun kind of thing like we do in the incomparable where everybody needles each other everybody was saying uh not everybody but several people and jason was particularly passionate about it if memory serves was saying that like and i think at one point he was using capital letters and uh was saying that uh, the plot point he disagreed with with you a lot and uh what i said uh, shall, shall i read this yes go as the as the dumb one on the show one of my roles is to avoid pointing out <laughs> As the dumb one on the show, one of my roles is to avoid pointing out how often John contradicts himself or is flatly wrong. <laughs> Merlin D. Mann. <laughs> you added that. You added that. I added the signature, right? Because here's the <laughs> like thing about Like it's a wiki that. quote. <laughs> Here, here's the thing about this. Uh-huh. All right. So there's a couple of ways you can read this. If taken at face value, which, again, it was, may not be the right way to take this, but if taken at face value, the, uh, the suggestion here is that on this show, 
when we are discussing something, you have insight, insights and salient points that you intentionally hold back because you don't want to seem too smart, and that these points could be used to show that I am in the wrong, but you don't do that. You sandbag. You hold them back for the sake of the Is show. Is that what it says on the face for of it? For the sake of the on show. On the face of it, that's what it says. On the face of it, because <laughs> as the quote-unquote dumb one on the show, my role, like that you have a role in the show, and presumably you want the show to be good so that you are intentionally sandbagging and holding back your oh-so-insightful opinions and ideas because you want to play the role of the dumb one. Uh-huh. All right. Okay. Now, that, that's what it says on the face of it. All mm-hmm. right. So first of all, taking it at face value, I would say, if you're doing that, don't because it's dumb and the show would be better if you didn't do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But, but <laughs> I actually believe that you do not have good ideas that you are holding back. If yeah. you had them, you would say them. I and it's would. exactly a, a Marge Becky situation. If I'm remembering this episode of The Simpsons correctly, do you remember when Becky was moving in on Homer, the younger, oh, prettier woman? Um, and Marge was very jealous. Yeah, early I don't. seasons. Anyway, she's she's jealous of Becky. But Homer's hanging out with Becky. Becky's putting the moves on Homer or whatever. She gets into some confrontation with Becky and is very angry and flustered. And Becky has a bunch of snappy comebacks. And Marge just fumes and fumbles and walks out. And she's like driving home. I forget. Like later in the episode, she you know she's grumbling about the fact that she didn't have a snappy comeback for whatever the heck Becky said. And she's like, oh, I just thought of something. I just thought of something that I, want to, I, I wish I had thought of this in the moment because it would have been a great comeback. And later in the episode, she finally gets to say it. She she storms in and then she has her opportunity to do a big comeback. And she says, shut up, Becky. <laughs> Not saying that, that your things are shut up, Becky. The French have a name for that. I'm sure they do. L'esprit de l'escalier, the spirit of the staircase. It's when you think of a good response after you've already left right. the room. The jerk store called, and they're running out of you. Exactly. But I'm I'm going to go further and say that not only do you, uh, like, they are displaced by time, but I'm not even sure that they exist at all. You just like to position the idea that you could have won that argument or made a salient point that would have shown me to be in the wrong, but... You chose not to, or you thought of it later, and even yeah. when you think of it later, you still won't do it because you're holding back for my sake, and I think that's BS. Wow, I have so much to say here. First of all, you're taking this jokey comment and blowing it up and looking at the face of it, which is which is fine. Uh, another level to this is you are genuinely smarter than me, and I struggle with that. You... Why is the dumb one in quotes, then? Uh, can I finish? <laughs> <laughs> Counselor? <laughs> Why is the dumb one in quotes? <laughs> because... I do genuinely, and you are. There's a couple. I have a couple problems and a couple struggles on this show, and what's one reason I'm, uh, you know, I cram because I'm a crammer. Uh, one of the things is you are smarter than I am, actually, and that alone would be something I could contend with. The the mm, almost as big problem is that you are way better at making your point. And I'm, I'm trying to avoid saying arguing because I don't mean argue in that particular sense. But you make a case for what you have to say in a way that is much more articulate. So not only are your ideas better than mine, but the way that you articulate it is better than mine. So that's the problem is, and I'll get to this, the further deeper level of this in a second, which is the actual funny part that I kind of intended, is that you are actually better at that than I am. So I struggle to keep up with you. And I, I, I you know, doff my cap to you. Um, the other thing is I have this unified fe- and you can jump in if you want, if I'm jumping ahead or skipping something you want to yell at me about, jump in. I have this unified field theory about two person podcasts. 
at least two person, some three people podcast, but on most two people podcasts, you tend to have these roles and the roles can change. I can't believe I'm talking about the show on the show. I know this is true with Roderick and you've actually chided me about this. Um, I feel like it's true on back to work. Uh, I'm trying to think of other things like this. But there tends to be the person, it's almost like there's one person who's like, well, what, the color commentator, and the other person who's sort of like the straight, straight person. But you could also call it the smart one and the dumb one. So the smart one is the one who, it helps if they are actually smarter. But the role of the smart one is to make a lot of the best points and to say the smart things. And if they are actually the smart person, they're, they're going to do it better than the dumb person. The dumb person is there often to learn from the other person, to interview that person. So, for example, with Roderick on the line, I'm the dumb one on there too, right? So, like me spending 45 minutes to explain to John why, why he needs to replace his 30-pin uh, his USB cables would be, like, really, really tedious. That would not be fun, and it would screw up the balance of the smart guy, dumb guy thing on the show. I don't mean literally smarter, but that's mainly what I meant. And also, it was just it was just a joke on the Slack. I have more to say, but you should respond. I don't think that dynamic applies to the show, especially when discussing, like, what did you think of a movie that we both saw? Because I think we're both the smart one and the dumb one, right? Mm. Like, I, I, I mean, think of the incomparable. There's no smart one, dumb one dynamic on that. I'm always like, the just, dumb one on there. Oh, my just, God. It's just all of us just giving our opinions and talking about things. The dumb one in the roles thing, like, whatever, like, if that you're right that that does vary depending on topic and stuff like that, but I feel like the show, as we've said in the past, is, is much more balanced than other... You feel like uh, we're peers, t- John? Other type, other type, definitely. Wow, thanks, man. Um, but, uh, uh, you know, and like I said, differently than on Roderick, where I feel like that show has always been you talking to John because he's got this wealth of character and life experience that you are drawing from. Like, he's not... You know, he's not asking you about those type of things. You, you don't have anything that compares to what he has in terms of, you know, stories and stuff like that. You know what I mean? Or, also, or yeah, least- he's, 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 you know, he knows all he needs to know about me mostly. And so sometimes I have something to offer. But that's that kind of show where, like, John, it's, it is kind of John's show. And, like, I would like to think that I have a, you know, a sizable contribution uh, to it. But, you know, that is, that is, yeah, you, you get that. You get that. Right. Yeah. And so but, but this show, like I said, is, I think, a, a more balanced type thing. And But that's fine. That's just the first part about the roles. The second part is about how often I contradict myself or I'm flatly wrong. Please, please point those out. Like, feel free. Like, bring it on. Like, and, and not because, like, oh, I'm being all macho and, like, saying, come at me. Like, but yeah. because I think that would make the show better. Right. <laughs> okay. And I think the audience would love it. Like, the audience craves it. They want it to happen. That was mostly a joke. Uh, mostly. And- mm hmm. <laughs> Well, you really, you gotta, like, I got you under your skin it. with this one. I did not mean to. Well, you know, it's it's the worst. I, I, it's because it's like if you got it, bring it. If you don't, then don't. Well, right? and, and for for the sake of the show, and also for like uh, gauntlet throwing, uh, you know, whatever that whole deal is. Yeah. Okay. Wow, you've really been up in your powders. This is this is amazing. I um no, I don't think that's usually the case. Normally, normally the case is that I I do learn a lot from you on here. I think one thing that you do that I am really poor at, see, defending, that's putting it too strongly, because this is just a podcast, who cares? But but there are times where you it's and just I... just an exchange of ideas, man. It is, it's totally cool, man. Well, the whole point of this show from the beginning has been that we are different people who are honestly curious about why the other person is how they are, and that's part of what I would like to think. And that's, that, not that's why, by the way, I'm always picking at you and saying, explain that further. Like, I'm, oh, trying, to, I'm trying to pull out of you that, yes. like, say it with your mouth words. <laughs> you like, should, you should you grow up boy words. But, um, <clears throat> no, but one thing that you do is, uh, you do this. You know what you did. 
is that you are, on the one hand, you are better at articulating these things. Another thing that you do sometimes is you will take, when I call out the good cop thing, I feel like sometimes you are taking a very small and not that strongly held point about something that I have said, and you spin it a little bit to be about this other thing that you want to you want to make this certain way which is not a bad thing but i mean sometimes i end up that's why i end up feeling like the bad cop on here is because that i don't have the ability to defend against that even though i think that it's a, it can sometimes be a little bit of a straw man that's what, good I, that's cop, what I meant. good cop bad cop is two shows from now it's not <laughs> you called it on the wrong <laughs> night again <laughs> I, I can't, that was in the note. Wasn't good cop. Bad oh cop no, it's totally in the notes. It got. Right. I well, think it got buried. No, but it's down here. We, we will get to that. But that, I mean, that's just that's just part of conversation. I can't like, tell how much you're joking. I, I hope you realize this was this was not meant to be some kind of. I was not trying to assail your intellect or to say that like oh I have some secret ability that I'm holding back. You know, I hear I hear what you're saying. Like if I if I'm gonna what as I talk the talk, you walk the walk is what you're saying because it makes the show better and you want to you want to fight me. It's gonna make it's gonna make the show better because that's what people want to hear. So meet you meet you in the parking lot in forty five minutes. Okay. They're not privy to the the passive aggressive uh, bitching after the fact. I do so little passive aggressive bitching. Oh my god, I, that mm, that's no, not, you're see, right. You're you do. doing. You are. You do. You definitely do. You do. But you do that. It, you were there when it happened. W- was I? You were there. You're right. I was there. Um. I would say in the room where it happened, but I don't know enough to know. No, the, no, the, I understand. The, I appreciate the, the effort of that reference. Like, yeah, still, still haven't listened to that. This is the least interesting part of this entire thing, but I am also interested in that paradigm for uh, you know, like, there's that comic that I'm really obsessed with, um, Stuart Lee, and I, I love his comedy, and I also love interviews. He's one of the rare people where maybe along the lines of like maybe look at you, Louis C.K. I enjoy what he has to say about comedy and about performing and about every really every aspect of it. Being somebody who like. Uh, lived in a squat in London at one point and how the changing economic face of London has changed what kind of people can be a comic and how that ends up affecting the material. He's really, really thought about this stuff a lot. And a recent interview I heard with him, he got to a topic that I think is super interesting. Not a topic I totally understand, but high status and low status. Are you, are you kind of familiar with this idea? I think I've heard you talk about it in this context on other podcasts, but you not enough that you should go over it again. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll certainly mangle it, but there's a book everybody read in college. Anybody who went to a dorky, you know, liberal arts kind of theater school, it's this book by Keith Johnstone called Impro. It's a super interesting book about improv and, uh, not, you know, improv, not in the sense of like, well, give me a, an, an occupation, a sex toy and a pizza topping, but, but more like this, this much more kind of authentic. He gets very into the idea of masks and the very, you know, all these different things. It's a book that everybody, like next to Del Close, it's something that everybody in improv and Charna Halpern, um, something a lot of people who are interested in improv have, have read just as like an intellectual thing, like what he has to say. One of his most interesting chapters, at least, is on um, the idea of status and thinking about high status and low status. So, like, you know, there's you think of the example of, like, Jeeves and Worcester is kind of a classic example where, you know, part of what makes their relationship so funny and is the source of so much of the humor is that, you know, um, Bertie is is meant to be, like, the high status, like, highfalutin character. Jeeves is the butler who's supposed to be, like, the low status character. And out of that, you can now you can go, you know, a thousand flowers bloom out of this. But I was just, you know, hearing him talk about this and how he is what he one thing he thinks about when he's doing his comedy is how he manages all kinds of things on stage about what people expect in the act. 
and how like one of the things he's had to struggle with, one of the things that marks Stuart Lee's comedy and has made him so influential is that his persona on stage, which is very close to his actual personness, is very, um, he's mad that you think he's funny. Right. So a part of his bit is like or, or like if you do laugh, he's insulted that you laughed at such a stupid joke. If you don't laugh, he'll say something like, oh, if Noel Fielding said that, you know, you would have loved it. And he, people he even likes. But it's been a struggle for him because as he gets more culturally or uh, more critically acclaimed and nominally successful, you know, BBC show and stuff like that, it's harder and harder for him to be able to pull that off on stage. And he constantly has to find ways to get back to where he's the low status character. Because if he's the high status character, he just seems like a rich white bully from London. He has to find a way to, to keep fighting an inroad to make you like sort of against him. And he's able to derive a lot of comedy out of like playing with status. So that's that's one idea that's always going through my head. We're talking about good cop, bad cop, whether it's talk smart or dumb. And that sort of power exchange in any kind of conversation, to me, is where a lot of the interest and the humor comes from. Whether that's the genuine curiosity about another person, or it's the kind of honest humility of like stepping back at the times that this really should be more about what the other person has to say. And I'm very interested in, in like how that gets played out. Smart and dumb? Yeah, that's a really, that's a really like simplified way to put it. But I am very interested in, like, if you're playing with somebody, as they say, like, you know, how gracious the other person is about being willing to move around with that status and derive something out of the delta between those two statuses is where a lot of humor comes from. It's just like Apple, right? The, trying, acting like an underdog, even then they're the biggest company in the world. They want to get back to that status where they these feisty the underdog again. It's just like Stuart Lee, Stuart Lee and Apple. And it's not so far off from the earlier discussion of franchises. Where, you know, what happens when you become the world's most popular socialist punk rock band, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. you, you, it's, it's difficult if most of your material and your cultural impact comes out of what you're not like that to me, I know that's reductive, but one of my thoughts I've always had mostly on punk rock is that it's about what you're not. It is kind of what you are, maybe more in Europe, but in America, punk rock is a lot about what you're not. And so like the trouble is what happens when you're 40? What happens when you're 50? Like, at some point, like, how do you put a stake in the ground about what you are if your entire career has been built on what you're not? Like, if you want to become, if you want to be able to, like, support your family, (laughs) you know, how do you keep playing, like, a low-status character? It's a very interesting topic to me. I think I just changed the subject, and I didn't mean to. Yeah, I I see that. I definitely see that in the context of, uh, of, you know, companies' images themselves and, you know, a comic on stage for a persona. But for this podcast and a lot of those, like, I think people should more or less just be themselves. Like, I I don't want, I don't... I certainly am not holding back and, and playing a role. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, like even if that makes for a better dynamic and trying to get back to there for humor values, like there are podcasts that are like that, that are, I don't know if they're more high concept or more, uh, more artful, let's say mm-hmm. <laughs> more artful than just two people talking. This feels solidly in the two people talking genre. And then, so then we just have to be each other and uh, legitimately need each other. I think we other. are. And that's, and that's I think the there's not a problem from. here. You're giving me a we need to talk. When you look at something like the Flophouse, I think you could argue, and again, forgive me if I'm mangling status here. I'll read up on it tonight, the first half anyway. But I feel like on the Flophouse, like they are constantly, it's, it may sound like they're trying to vie for high status, but in a lot of ways, you win on that show by winning low status in some ways. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, of course, there's this, but, there's, but there's a dynamic. And there's, there's the sad like, sack like, Dan stuff, but, you know, the that kind of exchange of those kinds of things can be very interesting to me. So smart and dumb, you know, you know, probably silly. But my main thing is I wish I was better at arguing with people. One time I got into a small private argument with uh, Cory Doctorow, and, uh, who's very, very good at arguing. 
And it says it doesn't particularly matter what it was about, but he was on one of his Jeremiah ads about something that was happening at a involving a group that I really like. And I emailed him because I was kind of pals with him at the time. And I was like, I gave him one of those you guys emails. You know, I gave him one of those, you guys, kind of like a Corey, like, you know, try, you know, try, can you like just, you know, I know a lot of people at this organization and, and they're really cool. And like, and he just ripped me a new one, chapter and verse, because he is really smart and he's really good at that. And he's got some, some big windmills, well, and dragons for that matter, to slay. And he just, it's like, you know, uh, the same way that maybe I could drop like an 80s pop culture reference. Like he just like chapter and verse is so good at arguing. And it was in that particular exchange, circa, I don't know, 2004, you know, it, it made me realize how many things in my past I gave up on because I don't know if it's that I'm not a clear thinker or that I'm too much of a wuss and a cuck, but like I am not good at arguing about things. Not, not just because I don't like aggression, but I, not even arguing. I'm, I feel like I'm not good at stating a case about things. And yeah, I'm then, very uh, self-conscious Corey, Corey about Dr. that. Uh, sharpened you like a knife is what happened there. <laughs> Look at me now. I'm, I'm unsheathed. Well, that, but that's what it is. Like, that's, you know, like, not everyone has an appetite for that. It's not saying people have to do that or whatever. You kind of, like, walked into a bear trap there, right? Because he was obviously primed and ready to go. And honestly, like, it is, it is exhausting to try to... Uh, talk to people about anything when they don't have their own clear thoughts on it, but are just like flinging their their reaction to you at like. So the fact that he responded to you at all shows that either he was really riled up or had enough respect for your relationship that he felt like it was worthwhile doing that. Because it is it is easier to talk to someone who has thought the same amount uh, as you about a topic. It is it is it is just literally exhausting to try just ask anybody who has had to. I try to explain something. Some poor woman who had to try to explain something about sexism. It's exhausting right. to explain something to someone who is so far outside the realm of even knowing what they're even talking about. Um, and the fact that he did that, like that's that's the way you you know sharpening like a knife is you know joke or whatever. But yeah. that's how you get better and clarify. I think that's part of the reason I think we all enjoy li- both listening to and participating in shows where we talk about books or movie or TV or comic or other sort of media that made us think because in hearing each other's reactions, it lets us better form our own opinions and sort of like by bouncing off each other, we, we come to a better understanding collectively about the thing that we're discussing, right? By hearing other people say things about it, like that we're, we are well, and also, and also how they, and how they say it. I learn a lot from listening to the incomparable. Whereas I say, I, I often feel like, like I think I can hold my own in a lot of places. I think I'm pretty goddamn funny and 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 quick in a lot of places. But I, inside the context of that show, I always feel really not hobbled. I really feel like not up to the task. I feel like I'm speaking in paragraphs and everybody else is speaking in phrases. And I, I never really got good at. it. I'm still struggling to to adjust that. But I and I, I just so we're clear, like I, I, I do agree with you and, and I, I don't feel like being that nice to you tonight because you're being so mean to me. But I have learned so much from you. Uh it it sounds like we're breaking up or something, but I've learned so much from you that has affected how I think. It's not even fun to tell you that because you're 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 so ungracious about that and, and say like, no, that's just the trick my brain is pulling on me. But I really have. It's affected me so much in the time Leading up to the show and doing this show, I have learned to uh, at least, even where I can't know that I'm applying the right sensibility to something, I'm at least getting better about wondering whether my dumb sensibility might be questionable. So I may not be a sharp knife, but, you know, at least I have a blade. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Blue Apron, the number one recipe delivery service that has the freshest ingredients. 
For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron delivers seasonal recipes along with fresh, high-quality ingredients to make delicious home-cooked meals. Blue Apron's mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone while supporting a more sustainable food system, setting the highest standards for ingredients, and building a community of home chefs. Blue Apron Seafood is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch. I've been to that aquarium. It's an excellent aquarium. Their beef, chicken, and pork come from responsibly raised animals, and their produce is sourced from farms that practice regenerative farming. Each Blue Apron meal comes with a step-by-step, easy-to-follow recipe card and pre-portioned ingredients that can be prepared in 40 minutes or less. My family loves Blue Apron. My nine-year-old daughter loves helping us make the meals, and we find that uh, it's one of the few times that she will actually try new foods is that uh, she's the one who helped prepare it. Plus, she's gotten really good at chopping onions. Nothing wrong with that. You choose from a variety of new recipes each week, or you can let Blue Apron's culinary team surprise you. No recipes are repeated within a year. That's the Blue Apron promise. They're just going to have to run with that. You'll be able to cook meals like spinach and mozzarella gnocchi with cheesy garlic bread, melted leek and fontina focaccia pizza with Brussels sprouts and lemon ricotta, green garlic pesto pasta with romaine salad and creamy lemon dressing. As we say in our house, yum-zalicious. Blue Apron delivers to 99% of the continental U.S., and that is a lot of percent. There's no weekly commitment, so you only get deliveries when you want them. And their freshness guarantee means that every ingredient arrives ready to cook, or they'll make it right. You can check out this week's menu and get three meals free with your first purchase, including free shipping, by going to blueapron.com slash diffs, that's D-I-F-F-S. You will love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron, so don't wait. You gotta go. Visit blueapron.com slash diffs. And we thank Blue Apron for their support of this show and all of Relay FM. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. NPR privacy policy. Honestly, it was kind of BS, but NPR changed their privacy policy. And they put in this absolutely farcical thing about, I think it was that you had to ask permission before linking to something. <laughs> you don't tell Cory Doctor you need to ask permission to link to something. Oh, oh, that's what the thing was? Yeah, no, I think I've heard that. Think oh, I've yeah. He, and and I was acquainted with some people there, and I, and I gave him a you guys email. I was like, you guys. I was like, Corey, you know, um, they're not really that heavily staffed, and they're really nice people. And so, you know, the truth <laughs> is, he was, uh, he was solid, probably right. Solid, solid foundation. God damn it. I, it's a Tuesday night. I could be at home eating chicken right now. Marco's going to come in and get mad. It's like, you, you guys, they tried really hard. <laughs> You know, Marco's uh, people at Apple work really hard on this and it gets him so angry. <laughs> people at NPR, they're good people. They're good people. They're, they're you know, they're under-resourced. They're yeah. the underdogs. <clears throat> I should have studied harder. I, you know, cramming, like, it's it's like real cramming. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if that actually helps. Like, the whole idea of like, maybe if you just don't study you? And, get in, and get a good night's sleep, right? Versus yeah, of cramming. course it helps. What are you saying? Don't even, of course cramming helps. I don't, I'm not an expert in cramming, but one of, one of the, the bits of folk wisdom that I have heard in my school days was that, uh, it is better to study, uh, you know, cut out studying at a reasonable time, go to bed, get a good night's sleep than it is to try to cram. Like that was, yeah, the, but like, okay, like, like I forgot Herschel was in the OA for some reason. And I mm-hmm. and now I, I think about this. I come back. I come back to you. I'm going to talk to John Syracuse about the OA. And like if I hadn't rewatched three episodes plus plus watched most of Sound of My Voice 
And for some reason, I, I spaced that Herschel was in this. Ah, I can't even imagine what I would hear from you. No, what do you get? I forget characters, and I don't remember. But it's Herschel. I what love their names Herschel. Were. And I'm the worst with characters and names and stuff like that. Like yeah. as I become more distant from the thing, I'm not as bad as McNulty, where he forgets entire books in a second after he closes. He reads the a lot of books, John. Them. He reads right, a lot well, of he, books, but he forgets them also. Does he really read a lot of the books? Anyway, uh, <laughs> I. I I'm the worst with names. So, like, you, you're worried about that? That's ridiculous. I don't oh, remember see, the name of anybody. Oh, see, now you tell me it's ridiculous. Here's the thing about cramming. You're right. Cramming for a Latin test, meh, maybe not a good idea. If you don't already mm. know the Latin, it's going to be a tough test. You're but not, in, but you're, this is not cramming. You're, you're refreshing your memory. It's like watching a yeah. movie again. And, I, and honestly, I wish I had had time to rewatch the OA, but... Yeah, like, but you got to like, run Zelda around. I, I, yeah, like, I really felt like, last night, I really felt like my brain was going to melt at a certain point. I, cause I, when I finally, so basically I, I said to Madeline, you know, you might want to, you might, I think you I got a weird feeling. You might <laughs> she, like what? She's going to walk through this show on any particular scene. She's like, what are you watching? <laughs> you <laughs> well, she that reaction. Seen, it's like, no, she, wait, just let me explain. She had seen and enjoyed the OA. And then last night as it happened, you know, the pictures I sent you, right? So mm-hmm, we're, we're mm-hmm. dealing with, we're dealing with the, 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 as we call it, the lounge, the, the family room. We're dealing with the My Little's Pony. We're, <laughs> the we're, lounge? Yeah. Cause the guy I used to live with is English. And he would call it the lounge. So now we call it the lounge. All right then. You know, I like to say series instead of season. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you yep, know that. Yep. So she had set herself to the task because she doesn't have enough projects. She had set herself to the task of cleaning up the Shopkins, the My Little's Pony, uh, the, the, all of the mini, Many thing. Oh, and the uh, what are the little cute fuzzy people? Uh, the uh, calico critters mm-hmm. that are legitimately oh, oh, cute. We, we and got very... some awesome calico critter stuff. We got we got the car. Do you have the car? Oh, dude, we got we got we we got the uh, bus and we got the car. We've you got, got the treehouse. Oh yeah, we got the slide. Calico critters. You got a lot of outfits and a lot of accessories and a lot of uh, dishware and tiny tiny ice cream like mm-hmm. <laughs> tiny tiny things and but the thing is the truth is like everybody touts playmobile yeah i like playmobile but i gotta tell you pound for pound you would look at these and go oh this looks like little house on the prairie weird junk but they're actually great toys they're really yeah, fun are pretty good. they're really surprising so anyway my poor wife my poor wife she's gonna set herself to the task of cleaning up the my little's pony and all of the other little small toys so we got all the boxes out and you know i was like oh, i gotta watch this all this Brit marling stuff i gotta cram and I said, you know what? Uh, I said, I, th- I got a feeling you might really like this. And so uh, we watched most of. We're not. This is not a spoiler. We're going to come back to this in the smaller spot. But uh, yeah, we watched most of uh, "Sound of My Voice." But having but you watched, watched most of it, th- yeah. But if you're going to cramp, you got to get you got to get through the end. That's not once. how cramming works, John. That's not how cramming works. Oh, you, you don't memorize the, the whole book. You but know, so you don't know how it ends. Amo, amas, amad, amamos. And and so uh, and then I watched. Uh, we should get to this in the smaller spot. Then I watched uh, most of one, uh, part a little bit of five, and all of eight episodes. You mean? Yeah. Oh wait. Yeah. S one. S one. Series one. Uh, yeah. And by the time I went to bed, I was like, I I really I felt like my brain was melting a little bit. And I'm so I'm so looking forward to talking about this. All but right, I think so we, we have other things. To, we, do we have other things to talk about? Uh, Not really. Eh, yeah. I can wait. Yeah, I feel like we should enter. We should enter the spo- especially since so many people did their homework. So many people are telling us like, "Hey, I've, I've all caught up. Uh, watched the OA. I'm ready for you to talk about right. it, and so on and so forth." Like, also, so you know, like- let's let's have a let's have a short one that'll make Mike happy. You'll be able to go uh, put Zelda on the horse, and uh, you'll be able My, to enjoy your evening with Zelda. Uh, the idea that you think that I end this podcast—I'm three hours different. I don't end this yeah. podcast and go do stuff. I go to bed. Sure, you do. Oh, come on, you. 
you're John Syracuse. You're the original, the OG. Uh, oh, you're the original gangster <laughs> owl. Isn't that right? Oh, I sharpen you I, like I a knife. I, I've shoveled a lot of very wet, heavy snow today. Oh like no! Yes, right. You got the snow. <gasps> a foot of completely waterlogged show. Boston weather. And I, when I thought it was done, like literally the end of my driveway was completely clear. And I just looked out, just, just you know, at the end of dinner, I'm like, oh, how's, you know, boy, it'll be great to pull out of this night clear driveway. And I saw, like, four feet of giant slush boulders at the end of my driveway, because the plows, the plow? had, oh, the plows no. had come through, and they had they had not gotten particularly close to the curb, and oh. I tried to clear the area, and they came back and said, you know what, the curb was like six feet in from where we were, and just... Just one fell swoop, and I knew that stuff was, like, slowly hardening into ice, and I would literally not be able to get it in my driveway, so I had to do a second run at the whole thing and be out there in the pitch black. It's 32 degrees there, John. It's very cold. I had to get it before it all froze, because it was slush. It was, like, are, rainy uh, sleet. Now, are you are you taking care of your heart? You know, this is, for a man your age, shoveling snow, it's, uh, well, it turns I'm out... Spring, it's, I'm a spring chicken. Yeah, well, I'm not Anyway, so sure no, I'm spring. fine. I'm fine. Okay, uh, be careful. Watch your heart. Yeah, I yeah. I, th- I do think about it as like I'm because my wife's out of town, so it's just me and, and the two kids here, oh, and God. so I was like, if I drop dead out there shoveling snow, like the yeah. kids will probably they'll probably feed themselves, right? Like they'll probably call someone eventually. I think they'll have they'll they'll at least probably prepare a snack. They'll look out the window and see if they, oh, dad's having a nap. Maybe I could slip in a brownie Z bar. They would, they would just go to bed. They yes. were just like yeah. They might they might like yell something out a window or something like that. But yeah, they probably wouldn't brush their teeth. Well, I mean, screw like, that. until until. Until, like, my daughter can't figure out how to get a piece of an image into a new layer in Photoshop, then she'll come out extremely irate and say, Dad, I need to put an image on a new layer in Photoshop. That's what they need me for, basically. Yeah. Tech support. Hey, you know what I forgot to tell you? You know what I got? It arrived. Is that your fidget cube? Yep. Doesn't sound too impressive over the microphone, let me it's tell you. It's not. And the I, build quality is not good. I, yeah, here's the, the the flaw, aside from the noise, which I, we already discussed about the mm-hmm. fact that, like, oh, it's great for the fidgeter, but the people around are going to want to kill him. Um, <laughs> the, the fidget cube seems to me, despite being obviously an irresistible product and idea that people want to put money towards, or maybe, maybe this, it lacks a purity of purpose in that, like a good clicky pen, it's... You yeah. click that pen because it's like a pen and it has, it has a clicky thing. That pen doesn't also have a rocker switch on the side and three balls on the bottom, right? Yeah, yeah. It, you, like, the, the fidget cube, to try to have all these different surfaces, I feel like none of them could be as satisfying as that same mechanism in a way that you could get to it without engaging or touching all the other mechanisms and i don't think the cube is the cube is a very fidgetable shape either yeah no you're right you're right there's a little little too much the other thing is i really feel like i walked up to a line with my wife with this one because the box (laughs) arrives the box arrives uh i I didn't realize quite how graciously i had supported this and we cracked it open and all i'm going to say is there was more than one in there and let's just Mm. leave it at that so my daughter and I are going through and deciding what color we each want. I got the one that's like mm-hmm. Nintendo colored, you know, and then she wanted the one that's kind of Nintendo colored. What, what color is Nintendo colored? You know, it's the one with multiple colors and the yellow and whatnot. This one here at my office is the the gray with black. But I open that box and out come, let's just say, more than one of these cubes. Mm-hmm. And... A tiny gold statue for, of, your, of appreciation for your donation. <laughs> Update 26. A, a building has been named after you. Um... And I have to tell you, my 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 wife, uh, my wife. On the one hand, she is actually, of course, extremely tolerant. Uh, she is she's very kind, and she doesn't say things. But um, she had a look on her face that I have not seen previously. 
And it was it was one of those uh, an expression that belied many many levels of puzzlement and potential anger. Um, I think, despite the fact that I just said the fidget cube, the, the problem with it is that it lacks a purity in terms of fidgeting. What yeah. it does have in spades is purity of uselessness. And so, perhaps when that box opened, she was like, "Is it you could not parody this?" That my husband, who often buys frivolous things, like this is the incarnation of frivolity. Like it, lit- it is literally oh. designed not to do anything. It is like oh, the, Mac, thing the that you MacBook would see adorable, the, the MacBook adorable, like no problem at all. But but we took these out. The fidget cubes. All I'm gonna say is there's more than one of these. We took them out, and she had an expression on her face. I don't think I could even replicate it. But then the following words came out of her mouth that I've never actually. She's never said this before. You know, she, she said, "You bought that." That's what I'm saying. Like it, it is. It is a device designed. You would see it on The Simpsons as useless <laughs> device. Like it is. It is specifically designed to have no purpose. <laughs> the stress is on the word bought. I don't know if I really sold it, but you bought that. It was it was this kind of like, like walk me, <laughs> you have, walk me you through have to this. Pay her to take them. <laughs> Update twenty nine. You guys, the March shipments are going to be going soon. And here's a video and an animated GIF. Uh, you could turn it into a parenting one. It's like, look, look how excited our daughter is to play with them. It's now, therefore, it is a useful item for parenting. Oh, it's a fantastic item for all of the problems that we have with with our daughter having too many things are really manifest. Because now By she can choose more things. Yeah. That's right. Which one of these? Oh, she thought she wanted the pink one, but then she didn't want the pink one. Now she wants the Nintendo one. You could put them between one of the three mattresses and see if she can feel when she sleeps. <laughs> you know what? That's true. That is absolutely true. She loves her internet mattress. Um, so we have so many other things to talk about, but in the interest of time in Zelda, uh, I think we should probably move to the, uh, the, 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 the smaller spot. Do you agree? Yep. Okay. Let me ask you this. How do you know Dave Goldfarb? So oh, you're going to sidetrack? Yeah, I didn't I actually didn't even see that thing. Do you think we can do this quick? It's really quick. I just mainly want to know how you know Dave. Do I? I, I, I will... So for this topic, and it gets back to you cramming for the things, I am the worst person in the world with names, right? Okay. And, I, and I've come to realize I'm not even that good with faces, right? All right? So people I have worked with at my current job, but I worked with them two years ago, I've already forgotten their names. I am. I don't know if this is like a thing. Like, I don't think I have Alzheimer's, right? But mm-hmm. I, I've never you see, been good But with you names. don't know. You don't, there's no and way I'm, for you to know. Yeah. And I'm, mm-hmm. I've always been really terrible with names. For the most part, faces I can kind of recognize, but I think as time passes, I'm making composite characters out of my past. Like, multiple people that <laughs> I work with combine into a single person, right? So, when I see the name Dave Goldfarb... <laughs> the tumblers. I'm, oh, wait, wait, here, I gotta... This starts clicking. Goldfarb, comedy. You, you, should be flipping, you should be flipping through your index cards. I'm like, well, I kind of think that... No, that was you like Judy Gold. Him Judy and Gold went familiar. to school with my mother, and she had a son named David, but it wasn't Goldfarb. So I've got nothing on Dave Goldfarb. Uh, so you, I need to Google to be useful to you in any way on this topic. All right, let's save it for another episode because we got to do. Uh, we got to get so you back. You think to Zelda. this is a person that I know? Well, you retweeted him, and it seemed familiar. I retweet people all the time. I don't yeah. doesn't mean I know who they but are. I went to college. I went to college with him. I have no idea who this person is. He's a, he's a punk rock right guy. Now. He had he had floppy skateboard hair, and uh, was it a punk rock? It was he's hilarious. He's a CCO. He's a what? He's a CCO. Chief Computer Officer. I think it says it says co-founder, CCO, creative director of the Outsiders. Um, what's hilarious is I started uh, college in 1986. I think Dave came in. I want to say in 87, maybe 88. He seemed impossibly younger than me. He's, of course, I, I was 19. I started late. So he was probably, you know, 
when I was 20, he was probably 18, something like that. And, you know, he, he was born, born in 1970. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Does it say that? It says that right has on he got a, Has he got a blue check? He does. Nice. Uh, 1970. Oh, so he's actually at least three years younger than me. But at the time, he seemed he seemed like a babe. He seemed like a babe. Now that you know what he is now, he's like at least 46. How weird Dude, is that? He's got, a, he's got a gray beard. You look at that, and it just makes you weep for your mortality. Do you process this? I want to come back to this on another episode because we need to get you back to Zelda. Does it really... Do you really think about the fact that the people you knew when you were 19 and they're 19... Like, Do you ever really think about how they're totally not 19 anymore? They're totally your age and have always been your age. Do you ever think not about my, that? Not in my mind, they're not. I sw- I'm not I on Facebook, so I don't know how old and fat they've gotten. My, my, uh, my best friend from first grade is a Hollywood producer, Big Shot. And he, he's the first guy I ever sword fought with uh, in a urinal. And, uh, and he was Robbie then. He's Robert now. And he's totally, like, he's totally a middle-aged guy. Hey, I see a picture of him, and it's like, a Ro- Robbie's, Robbie's Robert. He did that 70s show, and he's totally middle-aged. What the hell has happened? And it never stops seeming impossibly weird to me. Can't go home again, Merlin. Mm. Well, this is that time where we uh, gently guide you toward the smaller smot. This week, we are going to be talking about the TV show, The OA, and we may, I'm guessing, touch on the movie Sound of My Voice, but mostly we're here to talk about The OA. So, many of you, thankfully, have asked for this. At least almost double digits of you have asked for this. Thank you. John doesn't care, but I do. And uh, so thank you to everyone who's asked for this. Uh, If you haven't, please go and watch... The OA, it's very weird because some of the episodes are like a half hour long and some are over an hour and it's very bewildering. But uh, we feel confident suggesting this to people go watch this show. Yes? Uh, I feel confident that people should watch the first episode. And if it does not intrigue you, stop. Uh, well, should they jump gonna... right to the last episode if they no. want to see how no, it ends? Just watch the first one. And if you feel like this is not my type of show, stop watching because the first, repre- first episode is representative of the kind of show it is. But if it intrigues you... Uh, watch it because it's it's interesting. Okay, Mike, please uh, let's get our very special, recently updated edition of an OA spoiler horn. You told me about this show. This is another one of your ones like The Leftovers. I want to say these are the two shows where you said, eh, you know, this is pretty weird, but you should. Uh, I think you might like it. You should check out the first episode and see what you think. And I came around to Leftovers more than I came around to this, because eventually I was I was wholeheartedly endorsing Leftovers. It took me a while. OA, I'm still, like, not wholeheartedly endorsing, but definitely in the category of, check it out, it's pretty weird. Oh, my God. Uh, okay, so, smaller smart. let me remember the rules. The rules are we assume that everybody has watched all of these. You are warned for a final time that we are going to talk about plot points of this. And don't listen to this if you haven't watched it. Watch it, because, the, like, the... The, I'm not going to say the only enjoyment you get out of the series is learning about all the weirdness, but it's a lot of the enjoyment. A lot of the enjoyment is seeing wait, where where are they going with this, right? Yeah, I, and it, it is pretty. So yeah, don't please don't listen to this. Just pause the podcast, go watch the series. It's available on where Netflix. It's on Netflix. A Netflix original. I think it aired in December. And you're you're absolutely right. That's the thing about this is that it, there are so many times where you're like, well, I wonder where they're going to go with that, and sometimes it goes somewhere you wouldn't expect. And sometimes it doesn't go anywhere. And it becomes this constant, not constant, but a very frequent, like, well, what about that? And, like, how did that work? And will that be important? And it isn't until fairly late in the series, I think, that you're getting more into, especially with the last episode, where you're like, oh, so 
When did you start feeling like they wanted to telegraph that we should wonder how much of this happened? First episode, the very first episode. And this is, mm-hmm. this is the this is like Brit Marling, like I had no experience with her work, but from the first episode of this series, it starts off in a you know, it has a good dramatic opening, like great, with the whole great the whole bridge thing and stuff like that. In portrait and, mode, yeah. And there, and there's a central and like the the brief synopsis that I had read for this or heard from somebody is like, oh, uh, a girl is missing for a period longer period of time. And she comes back and like, where was she all that time? Right. So it's a good you know mystery premise for a Netflix type show, and I was up for it, especially if it was going to be, you know, sci-fi, supernatural, whatever. Um, and in the first part, you're like, oh, this is a mysterious person, right? And the hard left turn on the first episode takes is at one point. She, I mean, so she's blind before and now she's not like, oh, what that's mysterious too. And she, this is Britt Marling, her character. She starts telling a story about her past. She's like, actually, I was born in Russia to a very rich person and starts going off the whole thing. You're like, whoa, you were born in Russia to, and school bus and going off into the water and was that all was that all in the first one parents like i forget how far it went in that thing but the whole idea that like you you i I, you would not think that you would end up in russia and that this this girl this unaccented american blonde girl is actually i was born to these these powerful oligarchs in in russia and i could play the violin and and like and because it is her telling the story about herself and because the story is so outlandish and so ill-fitting with the character we see before us right yeah it's it's at least at least suspicious and it because all the markings of like i was kept in the attic and i was rescued and like it's because it was so singularly through the eyes of this one person i felt like that was going to be not what the whole show was about to the degree that it ended up being but at the very least that this is the ride that you're going to be on for this show that i didn't i didn't think like that that mechanism of like this character is now going to tell you things i feel like that's how this show is going to work uh and like not that the show's whole show is going to be a flashback but it is going to hinge on how fascinated you are to hear this person's story much like router on the line in fact like how fascinated are you to hear this person's story about what they've done? And that's what got me interested and excited in the show. And especially since it was willing to like, you know, cause the current premise is like, you're just in a subdivision and your parents who your adopted parents are finally happy to see you again and mm-hmm. used to be blind. And now you're not in this some weirdness going on there. Um, but the story of like, let me tell you about where I've been in my past is so fantastically removed from that, that, uh, like, that's that's the story I was interested in. I'm hesitant to say Mystery Box because the original Mystery Box, you know, according to that TED Talk, you know, we're talking about, you know, Lost. Well, I guess I guess what, when I go into a show like this, in most cases, you know, I've, this, is, uh, this is not my first day. This is not my first rodeo. I've seen a lot of shows like this, and I, I know how this tends to go. If it's something that's on, like, you know, regular old TV, you go like, okay, well, uh, if this is executed well, there's going to be a good cast, a good script, and there's going to be some kind of a twist. There's going to be something to this, or a twist or it turns out. There's going to be something to this that uh, things are not what it appears to be, or that, you know, the the typical, even if it's just a simple fish out of water. It's like, this is a story about this, except that happens. And you you kind of go in going, oh, you know. So in this one, you go like, okay, the mystery, obviously the mystery box thing is going to, here is going to be, 
something as simple as like, oh, well, you know, did she, is she remembering this differently? Was it aliens? Like, what was it? But you're right, the, what you call it, the hard right turn or the hard left turn of then going, well, wait a minute, before we even get to that, let's talk about when I went to this school and my school bus crashed and I met a lady in the sky with a wing and she told me how to eat a bird. And it's like, okay, well, this is going to be, I don't remember if that was in the first episode, but you realize- I think that was the, the first one ended in that whole, you know, with the, car- being in this mystical place. Whatever and, her name yeah. is. You realize this is okay, and you know, much to their credit, I got to say, and uh, just to give the credit here. So, Britt Marling frequently works with this guy. I really don't want to even attempt his name. Zal Batmanji? Something like that? Sounds good to me. Uh, I, I hate mispronouncing people's names. It's so insulting. But she, she works frequently with this guy. He um, directed all of the episodes. He, they are written or co-written frequently with the two of them and other people, but they wrote the balance of this. He directed all of them. So that that is her frequent contributor or fre- frequent um, uh, colleague on things like Sound of My Voice and I guess The East. I think they did that as well. But anyhow... Yeah, they're I, a team. Like, I feel bad. I always say Britt Marlin because she's the one on the screen, but they are, they are a creative right. team. Right, right, right. But she's she's not just like like a pretty girl actress who does funny dance moves. Like, yeah, she's a producer. Like, she's she's very involved in the in the making of this. Um, so what was my point? Just that, you know, I got to really give them credit. I mean, I say this every time, but I, I, I would start watching one of these episodes and go like, let's say you start at the beginning. Of, well, I was, this is really weird. You get to the end of the first episode and you're like, what in the hell could, be, could happen next? So you watch the next episode and that one comes along. And it doesn't take more than an episode or two before you get to the end and they have some of the best TV cliffhanger moments I've seen. I, I, I can't even remember all of them. I do remember that with over the space of, I think, two days, I watched all of these because it got to be where it was like, no, really, it's 1245. I've got to go to bed. But then you're like, oh, by the way, there's a terrarium in this guy's basement where he keeps people. What? And I thought that was amazing. This show, was it really kept me hooked all along. And partly, to back to your point, I'll throw it back to you, you just never knew where it was going to go. And you'd go like, I, I feel like it was like the moments after 9-11. We were like, honestly, anything could happen at this point. I have no idea where this show is going to go. I don't even understand what the twist is supposed to be. You introduce the movements, and pretty soon it's like... Or like, just here's another example. Like, didn't you feel initially like the whole, let's get the super team together and talk in the attic, that that would be maybe half an episode, and then they'd be, they'd be portal traveling? Yeah, that was, uh, that was another uh, thing about it, like, the the current the current time like not her telling stories about her past but the current time stuff you're like how important is this current time stuff gonna be because you kind of see like they seem to be spending early on an inordinate yeah. amount of time on these characters like am i supposed to care about these is buck, characters is buck that, that important like wh- how is that gonna yeah, be uh, yeah and and the show the show doesn't it the reason I find it interesting is it doesn't do so many of the things that you would expect to do, not just like network TV shows, but even like other Netflix shows. Because with the central mystery of, you know, you were gone and now you're back and where you've been. And how did this miraculous thing happen to you, right? There's so many directions you can go with that. And this show goes in none of them. Like it doesn't all the conventional ones like, oh, I was in a cult or I was captured and kept as a sex slave or mm-hmm. I ran away on my own because I've always had this deep, dark secret. And or like... None of that is like you said a terrarium in a dude's basement with experiments about it. like what? What, and what is we happening? Have magic like, yeah. and there's the, the the and like and so that it's just 
it is so many it's so many i think interesting and good ideas but so disconnected from anything like like anything that anyone would ever approve and like that shouldn't work right it, it shouldn't because there's too much like they don't take their time like they go like you said these cliffhangers you want to keep going things evolve like you go from uh i was missing and now i'm here actually i was born in russia actually i'm in the supernatural place eating a bird actually I'm, I, i've been captured in someone's basement actually it's a bunch of other people actually making hand motions is magic actually i'm recruiting this group here in, in the present time to do something about that past time. like it just moves 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 right up to the last episode like it doesn't waste a lot of time settling into that's, a rhythm. That's a really good point, and I hadn't thought of it that way. But I remember feeling very frustrated. Not quite. I mean, like, I keep kind of wishing Legion would pick up a little bit more. I'm figuring in episode four, four and five things are going to pick up. I've heard good things. I'm going to stick with it. But, like, I keep thinking, like, I'm with Dr. Drang. I'm like, ah, guys, come on. This is beautiful, but let's let's really pick this up. And in this case, I really felt like I thought I, like like you say, I thought I understood where the twist was heading. What she's going to be an alien? She's going to be a spy who's actually uh, secretly sp- a killer. Twist, I did guess that the what the OA stands for very early on, like as in within. It was my initial guess before watching the first episode, and after watching the first episode, I'm like, uh, I was kind of dreading that that the, was going to be what the it was. adverb or the noun. I mean, you thought it was the away or the original angel. I thought that what the O stood for was original, what the A stood for was angel. Really, you got that early. I I, like before, I got before the, like, I started watching the show, just because I'm like, well, what could, because of the logo. Look at the freaking logo. Yeah, like, but I mean, Netflix also just the thing. way they keep saying, no, I'm the, like in this this farcical bit where she's constantly correcting. I'm not Prairie. I'm the away. Yeah, like as, the, if, as if Prairie is that much of a, a normal. Prairie's but, a pretty yeah. that's a badass name. But but okay, so here's the thing though is like I kept thinking like okay 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 like clearly. For this thing to advance in the way that I expect and want or even need it to advance, we're going to have to get through, yeah, 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 yeah. We get the super team together. They learn how to do whatever they do to get through the portal, and they go. we find out what the deal is with this homework guy. Maybe there's a twist there. But the whole time I'm thinking, Jesus Christ, how how many meetings in the attic are you going to have? And then it's like, oh, yeah, because you know what? Guess what? That's not really the story yet. The story is, it, and then you think, okay, well, great. So now we realize there's like, it's a room full of MacGuffins, title, and they're all just going to sit around and listen to her talk and sit on the floor because apparently this is what she does. But then you go like, oh, no, no, it's actually really going to be about that backstory. No, it's going to really be about that backstory. Well, guess what? Quadruple mother effing turns out it's also now going to be about the super squad. And, and you're like, and by this point, you're like, oh, you know what? I'm already here. I'm going to keep going. And especially once you get into Hap and what is going on with him. And, his, and like his competitor, like his thing. <laughs> He's got his, his Moriarty. His, his research competitor, right. So like, the way, here. So eventually it becomes oh, that's also clear strange. to me. His trips are so strange. Yeah, yeah. He goes goes out to do something. Like, but like I mean, he goes the to whole, Cuba. He's got to go do a mission to Cuba. <laughs> the whole construct, yeah, with Homer to do like the the whole construct very quickly. Like I figure, like what is Britt Marling's deal? Britt Marling's deal from what, me watching this one thing very quickly. Like this is the type of thing she likes to do. She likes to do a thing where she's going to tell us uh, her personally, usually, but like the story is going to be told to you, and it's going to be a compelling, interesting story, and. The whole time you are going to be torn between getting caught up in the story around the campfire and thinking, this sounds like BS. Yeah. Because, <laughs> and that's, that's the central thing for like that, you know, 
unreliable narrator, or is it unreliable, or isn't it, or is it, or is it? like and because it's, it's, it's never, fictional... it's never, it's never where you expect it or when you expect it. Like right. in, the, and, in the movie, when she starts singing a song from the future that turns out to be the Cranberries, mm-hmm. and you're like, wait, what? Uh-huh. Right. And so everything is is there's always plausible deniability, but it, uh, it always fits together in this weird way, and you you get. You get caught up in the story because of her charisma and because of the inventiveness of the story. But if you pull back and look at it, you're like, but like, but look at how these pieces fit together and how they fall into these, you know, heroic archetypes and just everything about it. Like, the, it's like this, you know, because usually when a show when something doesn't make sense, you're like, this is a crappy show. Like this plot is stupid and doesn't. Yeah, make like, sense. like they didn't but, they didn't think this through. Usually, right. you think, but like, because yeah. this is all a story being told, like, well, if it doesn't make sense. That just shows that it's a story, not that this is a bad show. But you're like, but wait, if they if this is the real reality, maybe it is stupid. But what is that? And you keep going <laughs> right. back and forth. Well, there's, and there's, like, there's, there's, there, this... but there's levels to this. So I woke up this morning and I've been dreaming about this goddamn movie because I'd watched so much or this TV show. And I and I woke up this morning and I had this thought where I was like, oh god, last night I was so kind of feeling frustrated about Britt Marling. Uh, just not not frustrated, but like a little bit burnt out on her weirdness. And I had this weird flash this morning. I didn't capture it in the dream journal, but. I remember waking up and thinking, oh, you're being that guy about this. You're not looking at this show the way other kinds of people will watch this show. And I don't, I hadn't really thought this through, but like, you know, like if you're a trans person or a gender fluid person watching this show, like this, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to seem like <sighs> there are many different angles you can take in watching this show. There are many different things you can draw from this. And once I, once I said that to myself and I said, listen, really, really think about the different ways that you can watch this in the different levels. I started thinking more and more about the levels to like her portrayal. So like, are you going to like, oh, you know, she's actually, she's actually this duplicitous person who's trying to cover up something that happened, or maybe part of this is true and she's traumatized. Or is this partly a commentary on the fact that we would all love to have a beautiful woman tell us an interesting story that we want to be true there's so many different ways and maybe i'm maybe i'm over inserting all these levels but i think there's several ways you can appreciate her work not all of it 100 percent effective but extremely thought-provoking yeah and the, the cast of characters and the things about like the only the only thing that feels clear to me in this movie is that uh her character whose name i can't even remember anymore prairie there you go yeah. um the only thing that seems clear in the portrayal because we have not an omniscient view, but because we see her in the context of her not telling anybody a story, um, we don't see everything which she does, but we do see her doing things when no one else is there to watch except for us and the camera, is that she believes everything she's saying. So I think the only thing that you can rule out, the only, the only possibility you can rule hmm. out of this whole show of possibilities is that she's she is secretly lying. pulling the wool over people's eyes. But hmm. as this is the case with so many people who really do believe their own BS, she, the character in the show... And I also think the, the actor has a particular skill to to sense not weakness, but to like like a cult leader skill. Like you know who can be recruited, you oh, know yeah. how to recruit them, you know how to mani- manipulate them. You we, are we, charismatic. We, we, you in, really in, see this in sound of my voice. Yeah, you are charismatic in your own way. Um, and part of being charismatic is making people believe that you believe what you're saying, but I think the character in the OA really does believe what she's saying. 100% she believes that it is the, the honest truth, but yeah. she is also talented at doing this thing. Whether she knows she's doing it or not, whether she's doing it for good ends or for bads, she does assemble this crew. And by the way, I think this crew that she assembles would never appear in any other television show. Like Every every character 201 is a character that people would say, 
no, that's not going to my show. That doesn't fit. Like, it's not, you know, what what a motley crew they have. The only one that you could possibly say would fit in another show is, uh, what's his name, uh, the uh, the bully guy. Because yeah. he's, pre- he's pretty handsome and conventional and, and bully. And, 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 and he smells role. good. <laughs> right. But everybody else is just yeah. an incredible misfit. Not like a... Uh, Stranger Things, haha, nostalgia misfit, but like no legit misfit. Well, and also that, that that what you're describing right there does feed right back into the mystery for me because the whole time I'm going like, ugh, where are they going with this? I get it, it's a diverse group, like you're going to sit in an attic, and like, but the whole time I'm going like, I I trust them that that they are going somewhere with this. But yeah, I mean, I mean there, there was that I mean, once she assembled this crew, once it was clear, especially when she went to talk to the teacher. Like, about why the did person, they do it? Like, why it doesn't? There was like, like there's this whole. Why are the doors open? There's so much stuff where you're like, well, wait, why? Well, why? but that wait is all like that's why I feel like sound of my voice really pays into this because she is, I feel like, unconsciously the character in the show, preying on people who have who who are vulnerable, right, and bringing them into right. her web. Even even and people we, who think they're there to like unseat her don't realize that they're actually there because they want to believe in something or need to have something revealed. Right. So that's the sound of my voice. But in the OA, same deal. She is she's pulling these people in who are vulnerable and who are will uh, we we are in that group too even though we're not in the attic of the circle we the viewer are pulled into the same oh, damn circle of like 100%. we we are listening to your story and even I, as I the believe. people in the group are like Yep. That's some crazy crap that she's just telling Zach. Like, what do you like? But they all she she relates to each one of them, uh, and maybe there's not enough of this in the show to be completely convincing. But she she does re- they have a thing where she goes to talk to the teacher about the person and the bullet. Like she she knows where their vulnerabilities are, and she brings them in and accepts and nurtures them in a way that makes them eventually trust and care for her. Right, and then we look at that from a distance. You're like, this is exactly like a cult. But you're like, but she's never does anything bad to them. Um, and she's not trying to convince them of some terrible thing. Uh, she is telling them the story that sounds pretty outlandish. And so far in the show, and actually all the way through the show, we haven't seen anything in real life in the in like the current day setting that has convinced us that any of this stuff has any foundation in reality. And yet here we are, completely wrapped up in the people in the terrarium and her hitting people in the in the head with pans and walking around blind and feeling for things to put poison in and jumping through the window and going on trips, to, hearing about trips to Cuba and putting things in little rivers that run through their terrain. Like, Ugh, we're so totally great. we're totally caught up in that, and yet yeah. every time we pull back, you're like, but but seriously, yeah. though, like, what? Because like, there really is, like, you, kept, you keep waiting for, like, and now I'm going to show you the hand motions, and then in present day we see through our own <laughs> eyes, not through her recollection, and guess what? The hand motions really are magic, which, at a certain point, I was totally on board with, right? Because... Yeah. You know, like, I want to see, you want to see eventually, show me the money, show me the proof that all this stuff is not BS, and it never, 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 never arrives. All we get is more stories. Well, more, and more mystery boxes where, like, and this is, I have somewhat strong feelings about the last episode, um, you know, but, like, that that whole thing at the end of, like, well, now they've fixed the wife and like the wife, <laughs> but that was all still in Storyland. You can't like at a certain point you're like right, anything. Right, anything right. that happens in Storyland t- gives me no okay, new information. Okay, let me let me get let me get a little bit of bearing here. And I don't I don't want we, we're already so late in the episode, but let me let me get a little bit of bearing here. So, um, let me let me voir dire you on a pretty straightforward one. Um, in the story as told, there's a woman named Prairie who has been blind. Is an adopted. She's been adopted by a couple. Uh, she has been blind since a very young age. She disappears for something like seven years. When she comes back, she has her sight. So just to really just let me be a dumb guy for a minute because that's my job on the show. 
she was legitimately, <laughs> legitimately bronchial. She was legitimately unsighted before the incident. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay. She legitimately has sight again, uh, in the hospital after she's been picked up when she comes back. Yeah. So the show I think does take, uh, does make an effort to, to, to do the things that shows do and that like, they're not going to, it's not what the show is about, but they want to put a pin to say, you don't, you, the viewer don't know anything about this, but I'm going to tell you as sort of the omniscient narrator by either having a doctor or some disinterested third party say, Right. That this is actually a thing that has happened. Someone has been blind, and they get hit in the head, and they can see again. And just, and just, just because, to be clear, arguably the first wackadoodle twist of the entire series is that there was a girl who disappeared who was unsighted when she disappeared. Seven year, years later, she shows up in an apparent suicide attempt and can now see. We agree on that, yes? Right. And so that this is where the show, all these shows like this, um, the best shows, and you know, another example is like the movie Contact, which I also love, give you in-universe in the show plausible deniability for everything that they will withhold from you this the legitimately supernatural in the context of the show like stories you can tell me fine but we're assuming that this is the real world the right now uh you know omniscient viewer third party not listening to brit marling talk right yeah that she was blind everyone agrees the parents agree like the doctors agree like this is, this is a, a fact established in this world in the her, really, mac, her, real mac world. Is, her mac is set up it's still it's still running on like uh 2001 software Right, with the with the uh, assistive things, right? So we all agree that, nice, that she that was, was blind, nice and we all agree that she can sight it now because we are seeing her walking around and she can obviously see, right? And then we were given, like, that doesn't mean there's anything magical going on here, by the way, because this is a thing that has... Now, I don't know if this is a thing that has ever actually happened, but in the universe of the show, they put that pin in there to say, just to let you know, lest you think we've already revealed magic in this universe of the show, we have not. Right. So I just I just wanted to like I realize this is a slog, but I think that's important to start with a stake in the ground, which was it's it does seem and I'm just repeating what you said. It does seem clear that that that's that's where we were before. Here's where we are after just just to get that out of the way. And there's no switch them up here with regard to that. But then and that is very, very strange. Like, how did she get her sight back? And I don't remember because I didn't rewatch it. I didn't cram hard enough. Is it after she got hit with the shovel? Oh yeah, I don't a- remember. I don't remember what the in-universe thing is because, like, again, but in the story, in the story, it's after she runs. Universe, like, when is it after clear- she runs away and gets hit <laughs> with the gun or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> when it becomes clear that figuring out how she got her sight back is the least interesting part about yes! this backstory, she's saying it's like you. It's like you think what you're going to care about is how did she get her sight back, and you're like, no, no, <laughs> nope. that I like, I don't even care anymore. We have like, to perfect so- this mood where we, we have to perfect this movement where we pretend to eat a bird. <laughs> Right, we got to do like, it authentically. Forget about this site because because they had already established that it could happen. You just you're just waiting for the shooter drop. You're like, okay, they're just gonna, you know, they're just yeah. gonna have like. So there's so much magic flying around. You're like, sight smite, whatever. Obviously, she got it back. It's fine. Tell me, tell me about Homer. What's the deal? Well, yeah, and these and just these um, what lost or leftovers like things with like what is the deal with the gas. And like, I don't even feel, maybe I was just watching these too quickly or late at night, but, but, but first time around, I was like, wait, so wait, so what's going on? There's a knockout gas. Yeah, they're knocking out all the other people. But there's so, a way that, that they've experimented with where maybe one of us could not be knocked out and they don't yeah, have the success yeah. with I that. Mean, so the, it, it's, it's the problem. I thought this was an interesting part of like, look, if you are going to have a bunch of people prisoner in your basement, uh, they have you nothing have but time. Have, nothing like, they but can, time. <laughs> they can overpower you or cause problems. Like, so the, the idea is to. Right. If you want to take one on the mountain and do something with them with your weird experiments, 
you don't want to be like hand to hand combat fighting yeah, or even them every if time. But also just the constant, just the psychological threat of if you get unruly or try to just do some kind of Attica thing where you're banging your tin yeah, can. Yeah, on yeah, the, like I, I, you know what? I'll knock you out. That's always a thing I can do, and I can just get back to my work, and it doesn't bother me at all. Mm-hmm. That's always have. I, I thought that made sense. Have that hanging in the air. But the whole like some of us will suck the air out of the hole, and therefore another person might. Yeah, I mean that doesn't initially, work initially, out in terms of yeah. Parts so initially, <laughs> no. Okay, but but like stick in the ground. Did you see where that was going? <laughs> Did you? I mean, when they reveal why the gas existed. I kind of knew... You, fig- what you figured the- there had to be something I, I, happening. I kind of knew what his deal was in his experiment, and that ended up actually being fairly straightforward. And mm-hmm. it also further emphasized the story part of this. It's like, okay, so these are special people who are extremely resilient to death and therefore uniquely suited to be repeatedly killed in ways that would actually legitimately kill the people. But then again, they have the girl in the bathtub, or whatever her name was. Like, sometimes right. the person oh, actually does die, August? and then you've got this body yeah. to dispose of, which establishes, which establishes stakes. But then again, every time you're watching, they're like, yeah, but this is all nuts, right? Like, this is right. not... This is this is a good, right? But you want to see the story. You want to see it keep going. So you're just like, whatever, I'm going to... I keep watching, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and just, just... eventually, I love how eventually, like, they're all gung-ho on the little machine, greasing themselves up and shoving their head in the little plug and just be like, let's <laughs> bring it on, drown me. Well, and it goes into um, uh, Groundhog Day, goes into, like, the doctor in the castle for a billion years, like, trying yep. to break through the diamond yep, wall. Yep, keep Let's keep doing it. I gotta, I gotta try to stay calm and awake through the whole thing. Like, right. Like, I, know, I know I can do it, just keep killing me. <laughs> also, like uh, uh, cluing, not not to spoil the movie Arrival, but you know, you what was the phrase you used uh, a couple weeks ago? Uh, age and handsomeness appropriate. Yeah, like the whole like relationship between her and Homer. We're like, this is weird. Like, yeah, this, he's, this, young, he's a little young for her, right? He's a mook. Like, what's what's this bird lady doing Sl- with the mook? Slim Pickens in the terrarium. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you, thank you. <laughs> okay, hang on. Sorry, I need. I need a minute. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. Enter the offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, at checkout, and you're going to get yourself 10% off your first purchase. Make your next move with Squarespace. Squarespace lets you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain, award-winning templates, and more. Maybe you want to create an online store. Maybe you want to create a portfolio or a blog. The thing is, Squarespace is an all-in-one platform. It lets you do all of this and more. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, and no upgrades needed. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. Squarespace has got it covered. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you need any help. They let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name for your site. And all of those award-winning templates are just beautifully designed. So you get to show off your great idea. I have been using Squarespace for many years. Uh, another podcast I do, Roderick on the Line, has been hosted on Squarespace for over six years. And it's a delight to use. They have been very good to us. And I can actually tell you, I really highly recommend using Squarespace. It may not be perfect for you, but it's probably perfect for someone you know. Please keep this in mind. You want to get you and your friends out of the webmaster business, and Squarespace is there to help with that. Squarespace plans at just 12 they start at just $12 per month. That's hardly any money per month. But you can start a free trial right now with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com. Now, when you decide to sign up, you want to use the special offer code DIFFS, that's D-I-F-F-S, to get 10% off your first purchase, and it will show your support 
for Reconcilable Differences. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting Reconcilable Differences and all of Relay FM. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Part of what makes this so intriguing and frustrating and interesting is what what, we're de- what what you're describing very well here, which is like when you are focusing your attention on this and going like, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna unravel this particular little ball of yarn. You trust them enough to keep watching it. It's super interesting, and you you know you you, tr- you trust them enough, but they zig and they zag. And and just when you think like, okay, there's five MacGuffins in an attic over here like who are going to learn how to eat birds, but mostly we need to focus on what's going on with Hap. Like you think you know which way the thing's going to go, and then it goes in a different way, and then it goes back to the other way. And uh, I I found that really interesting and frustrating and ultimately a little bit unsatisfying. Like I yeah. still feel like the 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 role of the, the MacGuffin team still always felt a little bit not quite done. The, the stuff... The stuff in her flashbacks, I, I thought was much more uh, successful. And, yeah, they, and they spent done. more time there. Eventually, it was just like establishing shot, minor story points from current day world. But you spent most of your time in the flashback, or in a flashback within a flashback. Because I think the story within the story was that eventually, I don't remember if she told the terrarium people this, but like eventually, I started to care about whether she would be supernaturally reunited with her her father, who probably isn't even real. In the context of the right. story. So within the story, there's like, right, yeah, we're right. in a terrarium, but also... That's, that, that's where she's going to meet him at the But also, I'm trying to supernaturally reconnect with my dad. So that's the second level story within the story she's already telling. And you're like, why do I even care about this? Because that dad seems totally fictional to me anyway. And, uh, you know, like the fact that she's a violin virtuoso and plays in the music over the song, uh, over, over the phone, like... God, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, so no, many, so totally. many different levels, and yeah, and so that could, that's why normal people will probably be frustrated. This because you're like ultimately unsatisfying is a great description. <laughs> that should be the tagline. The OA ultimately. A word we would use in Ohio is silly. It's it it gets a little silly. Oh, it gets totally silly. But like, but I feel like it it glides by so well. So it's like, sure, it's silly, but this is just someone's story, man. Like you don't <laughs> like right. stories are like we're not telling you this is real. You decide for yourself. And it's the story's job to get you to suspend disbelief, right? That's the well, job yeah, of but, the story. Yeah, but also, like, like, coming back to, like, they never give you that much time away from the super team. And I have to say, like, I, I, I really, I think it was a very, the performances in the cast were very interesting. Setting aside the story and the, and the writing somewhat for a second, I think that was a pretty game cast that did a real good job. Especially because apparently, I think Buck was not, like, a professional actor. I mean, you know, these were people that we haven't seen in lots of things apart from uh, Phyllis from The Office. Apart from, what is that, Fear? She was Fear in uh, Inside Out? Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. But apart from her, like, these are not a lot of people that we've seen in lots of oh, things. Oh, no, she was, but she was Sadness. She was Sadness. Sadness, that's what mopey. I meant, Sadness. Um, but, you know, uh, they, the amount of time that was being spent on the super team makes you keep thinking like, okay, I really need to keep paying attention to the super team and where this is going, why they exist, why we're, you know, oh, so what's going on with, you know, Buck's family and, uh, and stoner guy. And like, there's just all this stuff to keep track of. And, but you know, at a certain point it started to feel a little bit like community theater and I wasn't sure where it was going. And yeah, there was not enough time to actually develop those. And so that's why I felt like it was being saved by like, all right, it's like kind of like trying to give your side characters enough backstory to make to flesh them out, but you right. know you're not going to spend 
too much time to be concerned about him. Like it's like everything is a foil for the main character to see how does she manipulate the situation and eventually reveal that hey, the super team has a purpose. They have a purpose. Here's why we've brought you here. You didn't right. know the purpose in the beginning because you weren't ready, but actually here's the purpose and here's this thing we're gonna do. And then like that's where you cross over into the I've been telling you this wacky story. Now I'm gonna get you to do wacky things in the really real world that our um, you know that our omniscient camera is going to see and we're like these people legit are in an attic waving their hands around, and you're waiting to see some sparkly lights come out. They never come out, man. They're just in the attic moving their hands and around. They and just, but they and they just keep showing up. Did you ever see um, a movie like any of those big uh, those movies that Roderick and I like? Did you ever see like The Dirty Dozen? You ever seen that? Uh, probably in little bits and pieces on. It's WPX really good. It's it's, it's really it's really accomplished. It's basically what is it? Is it James Coburn? gets together a bunch of criminals. Yep. They're going to do this suicide mission. And it's kind of the canonical, like giant team, super action movie kind of kicked off that whole genre, I think. But, uh, you know, there's a similar thing here where you're like, okay, by the time you get to episode N, wherever, wherever this starts, there's a certain point, like BBA has got the stuff with the brother and you're getting more into like, okay, so I'm not, obviously they would not be spending all the time with this group such as it is, especially when it's this not that interesting unless they're going somewhere with this. So I'm hyper paying attention to the characterizations of each one of those, what is going to happen with this. And I feel like, I don't know. I feel like, like I say, I think the performers did a good job, but I don't think that was the strongest part of it, except in, in as much as it feeds into the whole, what was actually going on part from the angle of what was actually going on. They were fantastic, but I kept waiting for, as you say, like the sparks and the lights to go off and like, you know, Somebody, uh, somebody's able to do like you know uh, a, a Patronus charm, and a, a pony comes out of the sky. But like, I feel like that that part of it kind of drove me crazy after a while. My notes on that would be: uh, I see what you're doing with the super team. Uh, you just don't need that many people because like, you're not going to have enough time to develop them that much. And we know what their role is ultimately going to be in the show. They were over is overpopulated. There was too many of them, and I think it's mostly because they had ideas for characters they thought were interesting, and all those characters and all their backstories were interesting. You just don't have enough room. Like in, in the number of episodes they have and the time they have to run, there just wasn't enough room to wrangle all those characters, which is why it feels like, you know, that, that is not fleshed out well enough um, that it, like you didn't need to have that many of the, like cut, have it have it be only two people, her and maybe two or three people. Right. But, it, right. but I think it's mostly because they had these good ideas for the characters. It's just you just can't you just can't do them justice uh, if their role is going to be what it was in the show because they're not they're not in any of the flashbacks and so many episodes are all storytelling episodes and you have so little time to do anything with their stories like i think the uh the well, with, without it feeling like a bolt-on it's like oh here's conflicted probably gay muscle builder guy like being a bully because reasons and like you know just kind of bolting on oh there's more of like a, you know bba's emotional journey and buck's dad is mean and you know it's yeah and the, the kids, the kids who lost their parents, like they get like one scene. We got to talk t- about the ending, and we probably don't have time to go super deep on what we reckon about her body of work. But are we missing any giant uh, awesome things before we get to the end? No, well, you haven't even seen the end of Sound of My Voice, but no, I'll probably watch. When I get home tonight, I'll probably watch the rest. All right. Of it. Anyway, well, th- the ending of this is uh the important part i feel like because that's always the thing it was just like how are you going to end it how is this going to end so you've built this big thing and you wrap me up how are you going to well okay okay, okay. But before i become a total karma suck i, I do want to say like i i i, I want to again i want to applaud many things about this show before i get a little bit cranky and, and creaky about it but like i do really feel like like the momentum 
got there and, and things were really happening. And I didn't know where it was going, but I, I could tell it was going somewhere important. I wasn't sure what the ending was going to be. But, you know, when the cop comes in, he's got the headphones on and he sees the screen. Kudos. All I can say is kudos. At that point, honestly, like I've seen a lot of televisual programming, John. At the moment when he came in and saw the screens, I actually had no idea what was going to happen next. And I, I, that was an achievement. You know what I'm talking about? I'm not sure which scene. There's the moment where he's got headphones on, he's observing the terrarium people, and the sheriff guy comes in, looks over his shoulder. This is at the end of, I think, seven. He comes in and he sees clearly that Hap is looking at people in a homemade prison. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know the cop is there. The cop draws his weapon, and you're like, what in the hell is going to happen Oh, yeah. That was was the thing with, like, yeah. Speaking of what typical shows do, there's always a suspicious cop and the guy who's got a terrible secret or someone held prisoner. And <laughs> that, like, so many shows just withhold that for you forever. Like, the, 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 the cop is never able to do that. And it's like they, the cop just gets, like, a, like, L, like killed. an L.A. confidential yeah. kind of thing. The, the cop gets killed unknowingly, never actually figure it out. And the whole time you're watching, they're right there. They're in the basement. And this one's like, guess what? He f- comes in. He finds them in the basement. He is not immediately killed by the villain's devious trap. He legit does the thing that you always want the cops to do. Like, don't you know, cop? You're talking to the bad Like, even, right, like, no right. country for all. And you're talking to the bad guy right now. They're all inside there. If you would just take one step to the left, you would see that he's got the bloody knife behind his back or whatever. He's got all the security. Everything is so locked down. Everything's got a passcode. And, like, sometimes he just makes a really dumb error. And in that case, he just he didn't right. hear the guy and, coming. And the, the cop actually finds him out which never happens in these type no. of shows the cop always gets killed at you know maybe at the last moment he realizes very cone brothers in that way but you know before we get into the details of the last one uh which i have mixed feelings about i just want to say like uh you know you you got me i i was there i was along for the ride for the whole time uh and uh i thought it was very definitely handled i thought draco malfoy's dad was uh pretty good in this so I think I know what your complaints are about the the ending because they're the same as my complaints, and the same as everybody's complaints. So let me just try to guess briefly. <laughs> All right, let's um, hear it. So uh, I'm, we're not going to explain what happens at the end because everyone listening to, the, to this already saw it. Um, but you have the character that we never saw for the whole rest of the series in any meaningful way. Maybe they're in the background of some scene, but who cares? Uh, commit a school shooting, which is oh a, god, which oh, is a you're cheat. Going right to, you're going right to the oh. Uh, yes. Which is a cheat because, again, law of conservation of characters, you can't take a character out of nowhere and make them, like, the most pivotal. Now, maybe it's like the weather. It's like, well, it's just like a natural disaster. No one ever knows who these people are. They just come out of nowhere, right? But in, yeah. in a narrative, in a, in a television series, that feels like a cheat. I've got, I've got headcanon on this. I've got and headcanon. The second, the second part is the more broader thing, because that you can say, fine, that's like, I can make an argument for that being a correct representation. Second thing is, did this show earn the ability to have in the really real world setting of the show, not the storytelling world, did it earn uh, the the right to have a legit real-life school shooting? It earned the, let me tell you about my story in Russia and the kids go off a bridge, because you're like, this right. sounds like BS. But we are to believe that this is the real world with the omniscient third-person camera seeing what really happens. You're like, this show maybe like not that it's exploiting in it but that it didn't feel like it earned john john that. suicide don't do it <laughs> you know so that that is the i mean i'm that is the big complaint about the show and i i go in different directions mm. but i see that complaint and i yeah but I like from that a thousand foundation. flowers die because this is part of the problem i'm gonna hold off on my head cannon because i want to save the spoiler but so just just quickly just for my own sake happy uh, Hap, uh, let's see. I'm reading the Wikipedia here. We got this. Like he's gonna, he's offering to heal 
the the sheriff's. Mm-hmm. That's why the sheriff wife. finds out, and the sheriff is turned. Right. So basically, Hap is Trump. The sheriff is Paul Ryan, and the United States is let's in not, the terrarium. Let's not overthink it. Yeah. And so they do it out of the goodness of their heart, like any American, because they're Democrats and they do the right thing. They bring her back to life, and Hap promptly kills both of them, but not before we learn, help me get the details on this right, that she was there to teach them the fifth... (laughs) I can't even say it, it's so Mm -hmm. stupid. Mm -hmm. To teach them the fifth movement where she does kind of a Batusi thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Right, so that's why. So her, so maybe you can help me understand this. Uh, she's got ALS, and or or similar. Yeah. And uh, so she comes back from 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 the Garrick zone, and she's got the <laughs> she's got the Batusi to show them. This is the fifth movement they've been waiting for. Now they're going to be able to do the things and escape. And and everybody's waiting for it. Hap's been waiting for it because he's all on board, and they've been waiting for it. Yeah. Well, and Hap, Hap and his associates, he's, he's totally a word which here means, like, he's, he's totally, you know, don't you think he's a little bit Count Olaf at this point? Like, ah, I will get the fifth movement. Uh, and so we get to yeah, kill he's, he's yet another victim. He's within the story world. He is the victim of the story that the hand wavy people, like, he comes to believe that they're doing a legit thing. And again, within the story world, he sees the results. They do clear, clear <sighs> this person of ALS. So within the story world, he has a reason to believe it. I'm, but- so, I'm so glad we don't have more time for this. I really want to go into... Ugh, how a guy who set up what he set up with so many layers of redundancy. He didn't just have microphones down there recording all the time. Yeah, it was like, again, for the purposes of the story, it's important for them to be able to whisper things to each other and do stuff like that. Yeah. And, but it doesn't make sense in the setting. You're like, but, but on the other hand, Hap is not unbalanced, but he does seem like he's erratic. Yeah, like that he is. He's clever in many ways, but in other ways, he is not good at keeping people prisoner. <laughs> I mean, he lets her come out and cook for him for crying out loud. Like, that's a bad, bad plan. Uh, so the guy from um, that other show. Well, so, okay, so wait a minute. So French, the, the guy with the glasses, he breaks in <laughs> to the house because he's going to go get information. He runs into the FBI officer, which... Mm-hmm who also happens to be in her house. Right, and that is another, that's another real-world thing. You're like, okay, well, now all of a sudden something else has happened weird in the real world because I can imagine this happening in a story, but in the really real world, why is he even there at all? Why like, would he makes- be in the house and, like, congratulating yeah. French on being so supportive? That have makes you, absolutely no sense. Have you gotten to the point in Sound of My Voice where it shows someone checking into a hotel and unpacking her suitcase? I don't think so. I'm right, right around. I'm a, little after the, 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 I'm a little after the barfing. That is the exact analogous moment in that movie where okay. you are seeing something in the really real world in the movie that is not what you expect and doesn't make sense and okay. starts firing off the chain of things like what the what and, and you know okay. the book the books under the bed the whole nine yards. But anyway, the, the books under the bed. Yeah. So so here's the thing is then he goes in and he finds a a a a, a strangely appropriate production design collection of books all of which exactly seem to indicate that most of the points of what she has been up to might have come out of these, like, five books. He finds a Kobayashi uh, uh, coffee mug. Wasn't that the name written on the bottom of the mug that gets dropped in uh, uh, Usual Suspects? No spoilers? I don't don't know. You've seen the Usual Suspects, right? I think I saw the first half. But she's got the Iliad. She's got, like, a book about uh, NDEs, near-death experiences. Right. She's got Uh, all the reading material you would need to write the story of the series so far. 
or or so it would seem. I'm sorry to go on, but I think it's important to, to get through how much wackadoo was in this. Okay, and so and then so French uh, narcs are out to the others. Okay, now they've gone their separate ways. <laughs> this is where now. So now uh, you know title card things are in the future. And everybody has gone their separate ways. We get little, you know, kind of B-roll of them hanging out. And they're back in their little, like, breakfast club kind of clicks. Uh, uh, Mookie, uh, Mookie Muscle Guy is, is watching the leaves. And then they get a, they get a Columbine. Right. And that, and it was telegraphed pretty well. By the time they were in that room, um, I didn't want to believe, I didn't want to believe it. Or at the very least, I wanted to believe that it would be a character that we had seen before. But nope, they went there, and yep, it was just a random person. And again, I can mm. make the argument for that as being exactly how the, the experience of this is, because not everybody you knows know, the person. You know I got headcanon. I got headcanon on this so hard. So I don't, I don't even remember the actor's face. What is your headcanon? No, they don't. Sh- this is important. I hope. <laughs> I pray. They don't show the actor's face. Spoilers inside spoilers. Uh, I think it will turn out in the second season of this show. To be Homer? No, it'll turn out to be some other spectral character from this important other world who's there because Prairie has got to be killed or because the killing of Prairie will become important for this larger thing and maybe they'll eventually get lightning bolts or whatever. Does he Does he actually shoot anybody else besides her? I don't remember. He accidentally shoots because they go in and they do the bird dance with authenticity. But before they, before they do... The bird dance. He comes yeah. in with the gun. Everyone scatters. Is anybody? Is any rounds is fired? He's fired rounds. That? I don't know if I'm trying to remember if people got killed. But the, no, you know what? I, I don't know. I, there was definitely shooting. What I'm trying to get at is like my headcanon on this is uh, I think that last episode. There's lots of little dumb things in that episode that they could very. Uh, this is free tip to Brit Marling and team. There's so much stuff in that episode that with my head cannon, you could make into a fantastic second season, including maybe there's some kind of John Connor guy who's got to show up and kill Brit Marling for reasons. Maybe that's, that's the incident that it took to get the super team together. And the only way to do that was to uh, come through some kind of portal thing. Maybe so, it was Homer. Like I maybe think, it was Homer. So I think they want to have their cake and eat it too. Like as as well they should at the end of season one. Like I'm not begrudging this. Like this is how you write no, every, good, everybody good, loves good cake. TVs that 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 can lead you into season two. But my take on the entire series is that they were very careful in a contact style way to make sure that everything in the really really real real world up to the last episode was explicable. And even in the last episode. The guy comes in, he's doing a school shooting, the people all look at each other, they have this bond based on their exposure to this charismatic person who may or may not be wackadoodle, um, and they do the thing that they do, which is the motions which they've been practicing and taught, which do nothing except make this person go, what in the hell? Which he's the confused same. for a second and consequently distracted. It did not actually have anything to do with the actual right. dance. And, and she's running, she's running, like, why is she running to the school? Isn't that supernatural? How the hell did she know anything was going down? My right. headcanon for that, and I don't think I need too much headcanon, is that, you know, like, you you got on one hand, you've got coincidence, which is like, she's always wanting to be getting back to them. And the second is that she is, as, as established by the whole rest of the series, good at sensing what people's deals are and who is vulnerable and troubled. And she has spent a lot of time talking with these kids and time at the school. And even though she's not doing it in a purposely manipulative, like, haha, I have a secret plan, like, this is her preternatural ability to be like this, yeah. that she would have known or sensed that this person was going to go off uh, 
Did she? How did she get it down to the day? I don't know. But anyway, she shows up at the school. She gets shot after the people who were doing her hand thing were having no effect other than briefly distracting her, and she gets shot as you know. It's a lot of coincidences that have to line up, but she is the main character. And she, you know how many how many things how many stories have we seen where someone important to the plot gets shot by accident by either you know crossfire or a stray bullet or a bullet intended for somebody else that totally happens to her. Yeah, she's not instantly killed because you might have to have a season two. She yeah. goes into the ambulance, but then she wishes. Right. Well, but again, once once someone is grievously injured, even the third person camera is like, okay, well now we're off to like you are you're having a new. But muscle experience muscle and, boy heard the whoosh. I know, I know, but it's like, and that, then that, and then she's in Johnny it, Ive's studio at a, at a certain point. Like yeah. when stuff when traumatic stuff like that happens, especially uh, when people who have you know been in this type of cult type environment, you can see and hear things and believe things that are actually happening. Right. Like what I'm saying is that this show is takes great pains to make sure that everything you see could. Like that, that the, the the most base re- representation of this is she's making all this up, and mm-hmm. these people are sucked into it for the same reason that we, the viewer, were sucked into it. But the show also puts those books there, puts that guy in her house for no reason, and challenged you, the viewer, to say, "Well, him being in the house and those books being there, there's nothing supernatural about that. But why the hell would they be there if there if that maybe all that crap really was true, right? Yeah. And but we never see. Hap, like, showing up at the school later. We never see all those people in the terrarium. Like, we have no... They might not even exist at all. We never see the so Russian the possibility, dad the I'm, I'm slow to realize this. The possibility is still open that most... That all all or most or at least some of the seven years didn't happen in the way that we saw. Right. Or didn't happen at all like that. Like That is entirely right. made up. And you can have that be entirely made up and still have people planting those books there to make her look crazy. Because then you're still saying, well, then what really happened, right? And, th- like, I feel like season one does get to have its cake and eat it, too, because you get all those living simultaneously. Season two is going to have to say, look, did that crap in the basement happen or not? Like, season two has to establish that. At this point, at the end of season one, you have no idea whether anything that story she said was real, because you don't even see any of those people in the really real world. All you see is her and the misfits and her parents, right? You do not see any of those people. You don't know if any of them exist or ever so existed, we see, including So we her see dad. her playing violin on YouTube, but we don't see Hap, right? Yeah, and you don't, exactly. You don't see those people. Like, they don't, you know, and we have to go back and review the footage. Maybe Hap is visible there or whatever. But it doesn't mean those people don't exist or whatever. But, like, did that, any yeah. of that happen the way she says? So far, those motions have shown to do nothing, right? There's just a bunch of ridiculous things that they've convinced people to do. Everything she said makes potential sense if you believe an incredibly implausible script for a TV show. But it doesn't make a lot of sense in real life. So the question, that's a that's a big corner to turn in season two. Right. And so I think season two it can't can't have it both ways it's going to have to establish and the show can go in different directions that's going to suck for them because you know they would love to keep that ambiguous but for this show to be like something that gets a second season they're going to have to go somewhere with it yeah they might be and so for sound of my voice just to briefly get up to the part where you're in she is there as a legit straight up charismatic cult leader right with people Mm -hmm. with our with our heroes of the movie trying to like expose the cult for what it is right and she is in a similar situation where she is talking to a room of people, telling them a ridiculous story, and trying to get them and you to believe it. And mm-hmm. I will let you play out that movie to see how it turns out. Uh, but spoiler alert: it ends in a similar way in that it wants to have its cake and eat it too. And it is like you can draw straight lines. Between I think both I think I'm things. at. I, I feel like I'm trying to remember because I did turn it off to go back to something else. But I I, I got at least up to uh, her requesting. 
the teacher to do something very unconventional. Is that before or after the barfing? I think it's after the barfing. It's after. Um, but there is, in, in sound of my voice, there is a box of books under a bed. Like, not literally, but like... Tony Man, the Cranberries. Is, there is exactly that later in the movie. The type of thing that you're like... I was all on board with my interpretation of what's going on, but then why the hell would this thing be there? And the thing being there itself is not like, haha, we've established that there's magic in this universe, but it's just like, but if this person's story isn't true, then why is that stuff there? Or is this is this a revelation? Like, why was the guy in the house? The book's fine. Why okay. was the guy in the house? Why? Like, you <sighs> sneak into the house and he's there? Why? That's so... See, this is, uh, you know, call me, guys. Uh, I got some tips on this. I got some headcanon for you. Yeah, well, I'm glad. I'm glad we. I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad we talked about it. I hope the uh, the listeners of the program uh, enjoyed it too. And maybe you know, you never know. In the future, maybe we'll talk more about uh, if the, it's season uh, two. Well, we probably will. Yeah, leftovers coming. Yep, that's true. Mm-hmm. I'd forgotten what I wanted to talk about about Arrival, except for one thing. What did I want to? I think I wanted. Oh, to actually... so this is the spo- <laughs> this is the spoiler slot inside the spoiler slot. Yeah, it's a secondary one, a shorty. Uh, stop stop listening now if you still haven't heard Arrival. We're done talking about the OA. There'll, right. There won't be too much. Um, oh, so uh, one of the things that people on Twitter were asking me about, um, a lot of people on Twitter wanted to say, uh, what if our hero in Arrival had no choice? Which I thought I mentioned like 900 times in our discussion, but apparently not emphatically enough. Like, that is a, a possibility, and if it is, I you know, it changes everything about my discussions about to which I both agree and totally disagree. Like, I, I I, don't see how that harms. It's just a different, incredibly touching movie. No, no I'm not saying it, cha- like, it changes. Like, I'm not. The question is whether she's a monster, right? And if she has no choice, clearly she's not. Because you got no choice. You got no choice, right? Right. Oh, yeah. so, All right. So, so that, you know, and, and again, if you but saw I, the movie. I also disagree that, that having well, a kid, wait, wait, you know. Let me just, just finish <sighs> it, right? So, so. You know, if she has no choice, then then whatever the, the the point's moot. And if you saw the movie and believed that she had no choice and came away from it believing it was a movie about being okay with the fact you have no choice, that's fine. Like that's not what I came away from the movie with, but that's fine. Like it's another reason I think it's a good movie. Like you can come away from it thinking different things. But yeah. as I stated on the show, and I, I kept hedging by it because my memory is bad of saying like maybe she had no choice, in which case all the stuff I'm going to say is irrelevant, right? But my strong impression was that she totally had a choice. I felt like that's what the movie was saying to me. People were asking me on the thing, like, but why do you, you know, I watched it and I thought she had no choice. Why do you think she did? I'm like, that's that's what the movie was saying to me. Like, it, it didn't even seem ambiguous. It didn't even seem like there was another interpretation. Like, it was very, very strong, as strongly as, as this very artistically shot movie can suggest anything, was saying that she definitely had a choice. So I didn't watch the movie again, which I should have, but I did go back and look at the ending of it, and I looked at the ending again, I'm like, yes, that's where I got the impression. Because it just, it hammers it home pretty hard. So... I, so here's one thing that I think maybe people start zoning out and having fuzzy feelings about. At one point towards the end, she says, despite knowing the journey and where it leads, this is Louise, despite knowing the journey and where it leads, I embrace it and I welcome every moment of it. That buys into like, oh, well, she just knows it's going to play out this way no matter what. So despite knowing the journey and where it leads, I embrace it and welcome every moment of it. And that, that, when I saw that, I'm like, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is all like the whole the people, people's other interpretation was, was right that like, that it's going to happen no matter what, and the whole deal is her being okay with it, right? But the movie continues. And, like, the last three exchanges in the movie is her watching the own spaceship going away, Louise saying to Ian, 
If you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? This is what she asks Ian after she has had all the revelations, like, you know, she sees her future or remembers her future, however you want to say it. She asks this of Ian, right? Yeah. And then... There's a there's a flash forward to them. They're they're married. They're hanging out in her uh, expensive lake house. Ian says, "You want to make a baby?" And there's the typical you know pregnant pause, flash of lighting, uh, you know, sort of like so all fuzzy fuzzy writing things. And Louise says, "Yes, yeah." That's the end of the movie. The end of the movie is answering the question. So. Are you going to go through and do it? Two, then the movie ends. Cut to title. That's the end of the movie. Two sentences. Like, That's two the sentences. whole movie. We That's spent the, hours talking about on that. The okay, whole so if somebody listened to the, the hours of us talking about Arrival, and all they listened to was us talking about time travel, they would assume that we're time travelers. Or that we are but, time but, like, but that's what seers. they end the movie on. It's a deliberate choice. If you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? Do you want to make a baby? Yes, yeah. She repeats the affirmative twice to emphasize she has a choice. Like that's why I came away from the movie so thinking what's the, that she what, has a what choice. What is the point? What is the point that you are doubling down on, as they say? Are you doubling down? I'm sorry, I, f- f- I hate that term. The point that you want to reiterate here is it A, B, or both? A, she you're 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 doubling down on this point that she had control versus she didn't. Yeah, she had a choice. That the movie okay, is and then there's the opinion that, that John has that if she did have control, she is a priori a monster. Is it one of those or both of those? What is that? So the, what, the, the thing the you one just thing described in this point in this point is that lots of people have the interpretation the interpretation that there was no choice and that that was the point of the movie. And I'm saying the movie does not say that that that, that you can have that experience of the movie and it and it's totally legitimate to have that experience and enjoy the movie based on that. But I feel like the movie says very very in the strongest language that cinema can say by ending the freaking movie on the answer to this thing like that it very very strongly says. That, and that again, this is the impression I expressed last show, but I didn't have anything to back it up other than my feeling of watching it once because my memory is bad. But upon review, going to look at the tape, the movie is saying she realizes this is going to happen. She has a decision to make. We, the audience, are with her during this decision because we see the pain of the situation. It's like Sophie's choice or whatever. Like, how, you know, how do you say yes? How do you say yeah. no? Like, that is the crux of the movie. That is what the end of the movie. And the movie literally ends on her pondering this question, getting asked this question, and answering it twice in the affirmative. Hmm. And then credits, arrival, boom. Hmm. That's the movie. And so I'm, I'm doubling and tripling down on my interpretation being the most well-supported by the content of the movie that she did have a choice. Right now, you, if you if you enjoy the movie and thinking that she doesn't, fine, continue to enjoy it the way. Like it's not it's not such as big a slam dunk as many other things because this movie is very artsy and ambiguous or whatever. But I'm I am reassured that my impression of what the movie was trying to say is has a foundation in what was in the thing. It's not such a slam dunk, and it wouldn't surprise me to say that the movie makers are trying to make it ambiguous. And maybe it's because I put more stake in how movies end in like you know the last line of a book or the last chapter or the last scene or whatever being emphatically more important than, than perhaps other people think it is. But that is why I thought this, right? And it's not it's not that I totally missed that they're totally trying to say, like, at best you could say it's ambiguous. But I think, you know, that that is, you know, so once, once there's choice involved, then it becomes a question of, 
do you think she made the right choice? And there, I think, no matter what your opinion is, none of that takes away from the movie. Because if you agree that there was a choice involved here, then the whole point of the movie is, what do you think about that choice? And there are arguments on both sides. I have my opinion, other people have theirs, but it doesn't, but my opinion, like, it doesn't, like, oh, but doesn't make the movie worse because you think she's a terrible person? People do, you know, monstrous things for legit reasons. Like, you know, again, Sophie's choice. Is she a monster? Right? Is, yeah. uh, is, Is Meryl Streep a monster? Like, arguably yes and arguably no, right? No, she, like, she chose to take the role. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just saying, like, you know, having having to choose, like, is it better to just say, no, I'd rather both my children die? I still, or to like, you're, I still, I'm exactly where I was before. I think she didn't have a choice. And even if she did, she did the right thing. But again, because you, you can interpret that movie and enjoy it at that level. And I understand how the movie works for people. You're saying, on you're level. saying what's on the screen is something else. Uh, it, it, it is more ambiguous than that. It is not as big a slam dunk mm-hmm. as a movie where it's like, you know, where, because this again is it a very, the movie doesn't come out and say this. The movie doesn't come out and say this with plot, with action, with dialogue, or anything. It is all about, you know, feelings and images and hinting. But I feel like as far as the feelings and images and hinting, it's kind of like, kind of like the away. Like they, they're not going to come right out and say it, and they want it to be able to go both ways, but it seems that there is strong textual and format-wise evidence that the audience was supposed to believe that there is a choice, and that she mm-hmm. has a choice, and that she makes a choice. Because that is literally what happens in the end of the movie, and she, her posing the question, if you could see your whole life from start to finish, would you change things? Why ask that question? If, it, if if there is no change, why end the movie on asking the question, then waiting? What is she going to say? He asked, you want to make a baby? But when he asked that, we, as the audience, know what's at stake with the answer to this question. That is why the movie ends on it. It is the most direct, like, again, that's, that's what I was feeling when I was watching it. Now, I'm not going to say your interpretation is wrong because it is, because there's nothing in the movie that disproves it. Only uh-huh. the structure of the movie leaning heavily towards the idea that this is the thing you should be thinking about. But if you're not thinking about that, you can totally have your interpretation and experience in the movie. And I think that, you know, that's that's perfectly legitimate because it's up to the movie to say, is this going to be one of those movies where certain things happen and everyone is in agreement about them? Or is this going to be one of those movies where a lot of stuff is open to interpretation? And this is definitely a movie where a lot of things are open to interpretation. Again, like the OA, where there is not enough. It's not like a James Bond movie. You're like, did James Bond win at the end? Yes, we all saw the same movie he won. Right, like he he defeated the enemy. There's no ambiguity about it. There's no mystery. That's not this kind of movie. Well, and the other, the second thing, which you probably don't care too much about, but yeah. uh, but Jason was all worked about, it. <laughs> like the idea that learning a language can uh, can let you remember the future. Like I would love, I would love to know which language I can learn that will like let me see ultraviolet light or uh, fly. Like just you know, we, we discussed this at length, but uh, this. If this doesn't bother you, you just slide right past it. It's a suspension. It's a suspension of disbelief thing, the same way it is with, uh, you know, knowing about car racing or baseball and not being able to enjoy those movies as much because you get hung up on these things. I'm the type of person who will get hung up on a detail like this in a sci-fi movie. If you're not, more power to you. Um, I, I've heard from a lot of people who read the book that it is better nailed down there, but that in the end you still kind of have to buy the idea, buy some kind of idea. Because like in the book, apparently. She doesn't just learn their language, she learns their physics and other stuff too. Um, how even learning their physics will let you, with your plain old brain, remember the future? I'm not quite sure. Uh, I think Jason had asked in the Slack, 
but teaching your language, you know, I remember I said like, well, what if they just rearrange the molecules in her brain? Maybe that would be a better. Like, I would accept that more because at least they're yeah. physically doing something. And it's like, well, what what do you think learning a language does? It rearranges molecules in your brain. No, no, no. Um, I don't. The, uh, you know, so my the, role my role here is not to tell you when you're wrong, but I feel like you should um, if you if you think there's a legit reason, <laughs> tell me why I'm flatly wrong and why I contradict myself. No, let me just finish the thought on the on the uh, rearranging molecules in the brain. Here's what I was thinking two, when two I hours said and that. Twenty minutes. How? Yeah. Yes, I know. How can you rearrange the molecules in someone's brain to make them remember the future? Easy. All your memories in your brain are arrangements of things in your brain, right? You just shove because the aliens apparently know the future. Whatever, we have no idea what kind of tech they use. We'll just accept that on its face because it's a sci-fi movie. They can just shove all that crap in your brain so you remember the future because they just rearrange stuff in your brain. So guess what? Now you've got new memories. How do you got new memories? The same way you have any of your memories. They're all in your brain because they're worn in there from your experience. If the aliens can rearrange things in your brain through whatever the hell action at a distance, radiation beams, magnets, whatever the hell they're using, we know you can rearrange stuff in brains without cutting people's skulls open and in sci-fi that's totally legit. How could they do that? They're not literally letting you see the future. They're letting you remember your future by giving you the memories. That's what I was thinking by that. There is no language that you can learn that lets you see in the dark. There is no language you can learn that lets you fly or move things with your mind. There just isn't. It's stupid. Uh, and if, if, if that doesn't bother you, there are plenty of stupid things in movies that don't bother me. Star Wars is filled with stupid things that don't bother me, right? In this particular movie, this one I thought was dumb. Not to the point where I say I don't see the movie. I say see the movie. It's awesome. It's great. It's good. That's all I'm saying about the language thing. So people shouldn't be mad about the language thing. It's a difference of opinion. It doesn't make sense. If you want to defend it and say it didn't bother you, fine. If you want to defend it and say it makes sense, it doesn't. And I'll fight you on that, but I won't fight you on the fact that this is a good movie and most people should ignore that. And honestly, I mostly ignore it because in the end, that's not what this movie is about. No, you make, you make, a, very good, you make a very good case. For me, it falls apart with everything having to do with Hawkeye. Two big things. <laughs> God damn it. Why is this show so long? Ugh. Two things. Sounds okay, like first of all, why it. does he not have it? If she's got it, why does he, he not have language, it? Did he didn't language, did he? Did he language? He was there as much as she was. But he, did just, he actually, does he actually know the language? Yeah, but she didn't, he didn't go into the marshmallow world yeah. like she did. I know, but, but still, that, that that bugs me. And then, like the whole like, okay, so wait a minute. So they're married, and like, even if they're not particularly communicative, like he's never got the sense that like she can guess the lotto numbers. Like, how has it never come up that she? Because like, if you had what she has, that's not a kind of thing you just kind of cover up. Yeah, it's going to fundamentally change your the, interactions with with everybody in the world when you have that. The movie doesn't because it is not text because it is visual medium. Even though everyone who's told me about this on Twitter and talked about the book says she is not living simultaneously in all time. She merely remembers the future just like we remember the past. And in the same way that you can't remember what last week's lottery numbers are, if they were in the future, you still couldn't remember them because, like, who memorized? She doesn't have a photographic memory. So in the movie, that's Well, and she shown, doesn't know, and also she's not, she isn't Dr. Manhattan. She doesn't know everything. Yeah, right? she would only remember her future and things she experienced in the vague way that you remember anything. And the way this is done in the movie well, a better, is... A better word than remember might be no. She will know. She she knows that this always happens this way, that always happened this way. In the same way that you, you know, you could look at a painting and try to infer things about the cubism and the motion and all these things. But really, uh, the painting is the painting. That's what the 
painting is. If you turn it around, there's not a world behind there. The well, painting that, is what the you, painting you is. You keep getting into your no choice thing, which I don't. Again, I, I don't what? think you need. To, I don't think you need to have that. Like the the the, the, the few, <sighs> she knows that this is always how it's going to turn out. But anyway, in the movie, they show scenes. It doesn't that look- make any sense, John. There's no way that she could have that knowledge of the past and the future with any ability to change any of it. Otherwise, it on the face of it does not make any sense. Well, it, it doesn't. It's here, impossible. Here's how, here's how that's internally consistent from from my perspective. If she has the ability to with one it. with one universe no multiverse right it's not not multiverse it's it's she remembers the future but if she makes a different decision she will remember different things or if the aliens <laughs> manipulated her brain and put those memories in there she will have those yeah. other memories forever oh. because they were put in there but it will turn out differently both of those work for me and you know <laughs> i feel like those are both consistent within the world either as she makes different decisions the future she remembering changes Right, with that, with that that posits the idea that she actually literally can remember the future, or in the alternate thing, she can't actually remember the future. She just has memories of the future that would have been in her brain, and they're never going to go away. In the same way, your memories of your past never go away, but no. what will actually happen will change. So eventually, she will catch up to her memories and be doing different things, right? But she will still have those memories. Those both work for me in terms of consistent within the world. I think the it's a Cassandra thing. I think she's seen the script. And by script, I mean both the script for what happened in the past happens in the future, because there is no past and future. We're constrained by this idea. That's that's what the movie tries to pitch a little bit, but I feel like... Get, everyone who read the book scheme is saying she doesn't. She's not living simultaneously in all time. She merely remembers her future. They may remember the past. I don't know if they're picking book things differently, but in the movie, it's very difficult to visually show living in all time simultaneously. So what they end up showing is essentially what look like kind of dream sequences or flashbacks. Like they're presented in the fuzzy way that memories are often presented. Like you're remembering right. back to a thing that happened, and it's not exact, and it's not all the moments. It's just you know, like there will be time cuts where you see like you know a dandelion someone's thumb and now you're back in the house and now like okay 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 can can i help your case let me let me help your case which i still don't don't agree with but okay so the all-important uh general chang scene like this very that's maybe the most important scene in the movie in a lot of ways i think and that's because we get back to the bootstrap paradox there's something going on here so when his reminding her his reminding her about her having told him what his wife said on her deathbed mm-hmm. is also her it's also her hearing what that is for the first yep. time essentially mm-hmm. what we see in the movie is she does like i've been i in my head i i'm not doing well on this program i've been avoiding trying to i've been trying to avoid saying time travel because time travel means like you're you're in this timeline you jump to a different place you come back i've been trying to avoid that because it's not really she's more time fluid or something but in this case she really does like she knows that she can find this in a book somewhere so how did she make that leap from here to there without some kind of will and causality that allowed her to do it she is able to pop the stack on her timeline in some well, way the same or other way you can think back to like oh uh, someone just asked me did you you know did did you see so-and-so last week and you think back to last week and you think oh let me think back to last week let me let me search my memories for the time when this happened well and she's just searching forward she's like she's did, yeah, did she's, you talk to yeah. things oh, oh let me just think let me just think forward to that oh i did talk and what did he tell me oh i mean it's it's just basic bootstrap power mem- a future memory Right, yeah, but you, but you have to like you have to actually remember it. Like you, you know, it's not like time travel. You get to go there and do a thing. So like, she's not causing. She's not causing that to right. happen. She's, she's not like going to the future paradox. to get the sports almanac and come back. Like she is right. trying to remember the future. And sometimes you know, it's a little bit clear in the movie that she can hear all this stuff or whatever, and that, that she has the experience of kind of being there. Like, wow, here I am in my future. But like, 
a lot of it doesn't hang together in terms of like with any time travel thing no matter what rule set you get it's it's difficult and this movie is not concerned at all with nailing down is she experiencing all time simultaneously because that would be really difficult to film and really difficult to operate and like you said how can you be married to someone who's who's experienced all time simultaneously like that's not what's happening it's more like she experiences life just like everyone else does but she can also remember the future as well as the past and as you said if it's not all deterministic how the hell does that work because as soon as you make some different decision have you just invalidated your future and like i said in the past show i like the idea that you would have no way of knowing because every time you remember the future it would reflect what the future is going to be now and you have no recollection of what the previous future that you remember because that's nonsense right like that that it, you, that the time traveler or the people involved with anything with time travel never notice it because as right. soon as you make a different choice you are continually remembering what the future will be at this point and when you make a different choice you don't remember what you remembered yesterday that the future would be because that's nonsensical right because it's all one big continuum um i mean that you know it's it's very difficult to come up with any kind of coherent rule set and everything i just described can be just like just like the language thing doesn't work for me all that cannot work for you and say even though this whole thing doesn't make sense and it's a silly fiction type of thing that particularly doesn't make sense to the point where it you know it hurts the movie for me or it pulls me out of the movie or it doesn't make sense or something like that in the same way that hey i teach you a, a written language and now you can remember the future pulls me out of it i feel like you're having the same reaction to a lot of the time travel stuff which i'm more willing to well more willing to accept because there is no there is no coherent theory of it in reality or in this movie and i'm just willing to headcanon many possibilities all of which work for me well done and we'll talk about it more next time oh, on no. Rec- and we've got to go. It's two and a half hours. He's got to go to Ool. He's got to do stuff. We can't talk for two and a half hours. He can cut all that thing uh, stuff out. Oh, of my the God. I've watched so much Brit Marling, and now I got, you, 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 you beat me up. You should, you you should beat watch me these. Up. It's much more conventional, but I think you will... Have- you, you beat me up because because it, because you're smart and you're not. I'm not smart. You're not. I, I'm confused about I like that. people say. Not dumb. Not dumb. I'm smart. I'm smart, I need respect. They what stepped did, I, over me. I, I need they got respect. me waiting oh. in the lobby. I was stepped over. I got that line right. I was oh, stepped over. <laughs> what? What? Uh, I'm smart Teach. and I deserve I respect. To. I'm smart and I deserve respect. Yeah. Banana daiquiri. Okay, we got to stop. It's got to stop. It's got to stop. Mm.